Make sure to check out the video version of this podcast at youtube.com slash game of microphones. See everything you're missing. So, what do you want? And now, from the crypts of Winterfell, it's your favorite podcast of thrones. Game of Microphones. With Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan the Fearsome. Winter is here. Seven blessings, drunken dragons and sneaking seductresses, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan the Fearsome, lurker within the secret passages. And I'm Lord Zack, the King's Landing Midnight Street Performer. <laughs> it was pretty cool we got to see another one of those street plays like we get, like we saw in Bravos. Yeah, a real <laughs> mummer's farce. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Horn farts and all. (laughs) And welcome to episode 124. On this episode, we're covering House of the Dragon, season one, episode four, King of the Narrow Sea. And in case you're not already aware, this podcast is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen all previously aired episodes of Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. If not, there's still time to be slain in a duel of honor, so you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. In consideration of further spoiler avoidance, we understand that most listeners have likely not read Fire and Blood, which covers this period of the Targaryen reign. Therefore, we will only be discussing events from the Dance of the Dragons that have already come to pass on House of the Dragon. It will take caution not to spoil drama that is still to come on the show. And if you're enjoying our coverage, please consider taking the black and helping us get out of the red by <laughs> by helping to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gompodcast or making a one-time donation at PayPal at paypal.com slash gompodcast. You can help support us without spending any extra money by doing your online shopping with our Amazon link at gameofmicrophones.com. Thanks. Without any further ado, let's get into our top five highlights of House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 4, King of the Narrow Sea. So what'd you think overall, Zach? It was uh, not what I was expecting, but it was uh, very spicy. Spicy. All the uh, interpersonal drama, family drama, politics, it had a little bit of everything. Um, besides, you know, an epic battle sequence. So yeah. there'll be plenty of those in the uh, weeks to come and seasons to come. So sure. this was an interesting 
change of pace. Yeah, very interesting change of pace. A lot of, like you said, interpersonal conflicts and uh, things like that. I, I, it was, I liked it. I thought it was really well done. Even the spicy stuff was tastefully shot, very tastefully shot. They had a really good director or cinematographer uh, with this episode. Yeah, pretty crazy, pretty crazy. What do you got for your number five, brother? Uh, my number five was uh, kind of a, sh- right now it's not, doesn't seem like it's too big of a deal, but it was shocking to me and may have more applications down the road, but the white worm, uh, uh, Sir Otto Hightower's trusted source of information, Masaria, Damon's paramour. Interesting. So I wonder, has she been a plant the whole time that she's been with him? Is she? Is he just so. using her to get info on Damon? Does she even really like him at all? <laughs> probably, not, probably not, especially after all his shenanigans at Dragonstone saying that she was they're about to get married, saying that she's with child and she doesn't none of that's true. And he's just saying it to get Damon and Rhaenyra and Otto's attention back in episode two. So it's she could have been playing him this whole time. It could have been something where she developed some animosity as time went on when she realized how little Damon actually cared for her. But I mean, I think it's safe to say that now that's how Otto found out about the air for a day. You know, allegation that Damon doesn't specifically refute, but doesn't, you know, specifically say that he admit either. But she could have came up with that phrase on her own, fed it to Otto to sow division between Damon and Viserys. But and the way we find out was, you know, she's, in there with Damon when he's, you know, w- waking up the next morning all hung over and the little boy who was the actual spy, you know, working for her and all of them working for Otto. I think this is just kind of how I took the episodes, you know, we'll see what you think, see what the l- listeners think, but the little boy came in there and, and gave her the money, you know, from Otto, you would think as payment for, for services rendered for being, you know, part of his little spy network. So Masaria, you know, not just, you know, this little side piece for Damon. She has more of a role to play. I must have had to look away for some reason at that part because I've missed it. Uh, the little boy coming in with the cash. Uh, but yeah, I was wondering how you figured out that she was the white worm. That's pretty crazy. That is that is pretty crazy. Uh, I was very s- surprised um, by by the revelation that it was Masaria when I heard you say it. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Anything else you want to add to your number five there? I think that's it. All right. I'll add a couple things to it. Just that uh, the white worm seems to be uh, the analog for the spider in this case. I don't think she's considered a master of whispers or anything, but she's effectively serving the same role, at least for Otto, with her little birds running around, you know, using children just like Varys as well. Uh, so that was kind of cool. And uh, this this kind of goes along with my number four, actually, which was m- mice in the walls. And we got to see some uh, some mice, you know, kind of lurking around uh, in places where, <laughs> where they would be, sneaking around. There were some mice in the jaws of Balerion, just chilling yep, between his teeth. Cool. And um, they uh, they seem to be symbolic of a couple things. I thought that 
they represented the spies, like the boy from the the Pleasure House, <laughs> which like why why is there a kid in anywhere near a Pleasure House like that? But uh, there seemed to be a correlation between the spies and the the mice who are always just kind of lurking around, listening. You don't notice them, but they notice you. They're out of sight, and as they sort of also paralleled the. Uh, the secret passages that that were found in this episode and how people can be sneaking through the walls around you and you have no idea, just like the mice are. That was a pretty cool point. We'll come back to the secret passages in a little mm-hmm. bit and I'll, I'll, I'll bring that up uh, when we get to number four. But uh, my number five was forgiveness, trust, and betrayal. And we saw this pattern play out three times in this episode between three different pairs of characters. First, we had Viserys and Daemon. And it was was really nice and a touching moment to see them rekindle their brotherhood and to have Daemon lay down the hammer of the crab feeder (laughs) telling Viserys to add it to the throne, which was really... I think it would be the only hammer on there, (laughs) which would be pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's that big old hammer that the crab feeder was using to stake the guys onto the into the sand, like uh, like Damon ended up doing. Kind of remindful of Vlad the Impaler. Oh, uh, nice. It, which will be our historical parallel for the, this week. Who would impale? He just drop. He just. Sorry. Oh no! Go ahead. He go just on. he just mic drops the hammer and says, <laughs> "Add it to the chair." Yeah. He, he comes in, so he he walks as far as he can, and he, up to the point where his breastplate you know, is, you know, pushing up against the King's guard sword. That was cool. Um, you know, just that they're doing a great job of, of showing little things like that, that kind of show his personality. And he just, he doesn't care. Most people, as soon as the King's guard drew their blade, they would stop walking. But right. He's in statement. So <laughs> and he just mic drops it, add it to the chair. He doesn't say add it to the throne or melt it. And, you know, try to say something polite or nice he says add it to the chair and just mic drops it didn't <laughs> and then the king's guard put their put their sword away yeah um he's like yeah you're like your sword means nothing i'm not here to fight like i'm not worried about it you know <laughs> and when he did that too we got kind of a close-up view of his armor and damn that was some cool armor i particularly cool. liked the uh the scales that covered the whole abdomen area of it it was really cool Nicely crafted, uh, great, great prop design. And uh, didn't didn't uh, Sir Barristan the Bold say something similar when he threw down the sword when he got fired by Joffrey? I feel he like did. There was a similar uh, line. I have to uh, find the exact line, but he yeah, he said add it, add it to the add it to the throne with all the others or something. Yeah, there you go. So this was a really touching moment, like I said, where. As Damon is walking into the room, you know, everybody's like, oh my God, it's Damon. And the, the whispers are spreading and everybody turns to look. And at first, Rhaenyra pretends to be like uninterested, you know, even though she had seen him swoop down over her boat and she got the excited look as he was flying away. We're seeing all these people that have been estranged for long periods of time forgiving each other in this episode. So here, Damon explains that he was named King of the Narrow Sea because because Viserys is like, oh, you wear a crown? Do you call yourself king as well? You know, and he, <laughs> and he explains, when we smashed the triarchy, they named me king of the narrow seas. But I know there's only one true king in this realm, you know, and he takes off the crown and gives it to Viserys and tells him, like, the narrow sea is yours. 
And uh, Viserys, while everybody was like, oh my God, as he was coming into the room and they're looking all nervous, Viserys got like a concerned look on his face. And he's standing there with black fire. And it's not until he takes off the crown and kneels that, that Viserys is comforted in this moment and he he starts walking over to to uh to Daemon and he's using he's holding black fire like a cane kung, kung, sticking it into the floor conk 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 Tyrion <laughs> sorry um with the Beatles I don't know the, <laughs> the sound effect I made just reminded me of that but uh he's looking all aggressive and and uh menacing and then he tells him to rise and a smile comes over his face and they embrace and uh, Damon rests his head on, on his brother's shoulder and everybody's like, oh, you know, clapping. <laughs> a really cool yeah, moment. Very nice moment. It was it was like a cathartic moment after because, you know, you know how much Viserys loves Damon. He's the one guy who puts up with him and everybody else has been dogging him the whole series and everything leading up to this. But but Viserys has always shown that loyalty to him. You can tell that they have a, a strong bond that developed in their youth that's carried through. And so their rekindling of their brothership was really good to see. And uh, <laughs> the next scene in the garden, they're reminiscing about old times and arguing over who was mother's favorite and everything. And unfortunately... They forgive each other. They're reestablishing trust, but it ends pretty quickly with betrayal as uh, Daemon besmirches his daughter's honor in the realm's eyes by using her as a political pawn, dragging her to a whorehouse, demasking her effectively and making sure everybody knows that she's there so that she would be lowered in the eyes, in the opinions of the lords and, uh, Viserys rightly is furious about that and ends up banishing him. So we get forgiveness, reestablishment of trust, and betrayal. And we had sort of a similar thing happening with Alicent and Rhaenyra, who have been estranged since she, since Alicent became the queen, and Rhaenyra was perceiving her as a threat. And uh, Alicent says that she's glad that Rhaenyra is back around from her from her marriage tour her suitor tour because she has feels like she has no friends lately and you really get the vibe from Alicent that she feels like a caged bird in uh in this sort of like a Sansa vibe you remember when the the hound keeps calling her his little bird or something like that mm-hmm. and uh they'd been pretty cold toward each other in the previous episode during the hunt and everything but um they sort of reconnect here. You know, uh, Allison suggests that Damon go and look at the the beautiful new tapestries and Viserys and Damon just like shrug her off like and laughing like stupid little girl stuff. You know, he has no interest in that. <laughs> and you can they see literally that, just, yeah, they just laugh in her face. Yeah, and so uh, Effectively say, no one cares about your tapestries. Yeah. <laughs> and she, you can tell she's crushed by that. And she, but she, she maintains her smile and, uh, Throughout this episode, we see how dutiful and caring Alicent is, even though she's forced into this awful position that she doesn't want to be in. And this moment sort of symbolizes it as they're like belittling her and laughing at her. And she maintains a smile with only like the, a slight flicker of frown mixed in there. And um, I got to say, her, her performances throughout this episode, the actress playing Alicent are really great. Subtle facial yeah, she's expressions. Been very good. And, yeah, very mm-hmm. expressive. 
Same with Rhaenyra, actually. A lot of that in this episode that I thought I was pretty impressed by. Um, I'm liking the casting a lot in this show. Absolutely. So, at this point, Alicent and Rhaenyra are sitting on the bench by themselves. And we get to see sort of a rekindling of their relationship, too, as Rhaenyra is sort of, you know, picking on inadvertently it seems picking on her station by saying like oh like you know i'm so sick of being paraded around like a like a sex slave on an auction block effectively the way she feels because she's like being it's not even like the the lords are coming to her you know what i mean she viserys is like sending her around and making her do the legwork <laughs> and to, to all these different locations probably at least once to every kingdom is the plan of the seven kingdoms and having a suitors line up and everything, it's like uh, it's like she's, you know, like livestock being sold or something like that. So it's totally demeaning, and I can understand where she's coming from. But uh, she's talking about how it's not her ideal situation, and she, how much it would suck to be trapped in a castle and forced to pop out baby after baby after baby. And she doesn't realize it when she says it that it's slightly insensitive to. Allison's Sl- situation. Slightly. Just slightly. <laughs> slightly. It's like, this is your life, Allison, and it sounds like the worst. <laughs> Who would want to yeah. do that? And this is another moment where we get some great um, micro-expressions from the at- Allison actress that are really, you know, say a lot without having to say anything. And Rhaenyra kind of like realizes that she was being a jerk and inconsiderate of Allison, and she reaches for her hand and says she's sorry and it's a nice moment where they're rekindling their bond that's been damaged by the moving of the various chess pieces over the past few episodes so that's nice to see but then again it doesn't last very long as uh Rhaenyra goes out and does her her wild child act <laughs> and then comes back and and uh Allison is like what the hell are you doing like this is crazy and they're sort of at odds again. Rhaenyra feeling like she's being accused by Alicent, who didn't really accuse her of anything, was just asking her. Uh, and then Rhaenyra being less than honest. And so they've forgiven each other. They're reestablishing trust. And almost immediately, uh, Rhaenyra is violating that trust by not lying to her because she says that Damon didn't touch her, which I guess is a lie because he did touch her, but he didn't, you know, do the thing. But uh, she's implying that she's still a maiden, which is not the case, and shows she's being dishonest, uh, not with a direct lie per se, but by, you know, talking around the truth, basically. A lie by omission. And, I mean, Allison, this is a, a display of trust with between from Allison showing up and giving Rhaenyra the heads up that like they're on to you you better you know do something because these are the these are the rumors this is who it's, it's coming from she knows at least her dad she doesn't know who beyond that but she's giving Rhaenyra a heads up about the tidal wave of chaos that's going to be inbound in her direction and so it sucks to see you know one person trusting the other one and the other one betraying that trust again just like Daemon and Viserys and then we have a third instance of that happening in this episode, which is Daemon and Rhaenyra, who have themselves, even though they've kind of had like a a buddy-buddy relationship leading up to the moment where he steals the dragon egg, they've sort of become estranged after that. As we learned at the uh, hunt 
the previous episode when Rhaenyra says she hasn't seen him in all that time since she got the egg back, basically. And it's been at three years at that point. About so it's she still hasn't seen him until he dips down with a, <laughs> with the blood worm and and buzzes her ship, which was crazy. the The gust of the wind from it like causes the whole ship to list. And I'm not saying that that Rhaenyra, the actress, looks like a goat. I'm not saying that, but I've seen a meme going around with a cute little goat with a little mm-hmm. downturned mouth, and then a picture of Rhaenyra. <laughs> and I've never seen them both in the same room at the same time. <laughs> I, I'm not saying anything, but <laughs> having seen this meme and then seeing Rhaenyra fall over on the on the ship, those fainting goats popped into my mind. You know, like nah. I couldn't help it. It's right. just because I saw that meme. You know, you scare yeah, these goats; re- they just tip over. Yeah. They just boom. They tip over as soon as something happens. <laughs> yeah, I wrote down. Uh, Damon does a a drive by on Rhaenyra's ship. Yeah, yeah. It's a, fl- it's a flyby, but I mean, like it sort of seems like he hit it. Like it really knocked it down. I didn't think about the wind just being enough to kind of tilt it. It seemed like there was a big bump, and then they all kind of went over to the side. Oh and yeah, I the might ship have missed started it. Started to correct itself, but I mean that seems very dangerous for your dragon and your niece who's on that ship to actually hit it. Yeah, so, I don't think he. Hit I mean, it. they didn't show it like hit and splinter the mast or anything, but it was it's very. I mean, it's a Damon thing to do, but Such a yeah, I just thing. wrote down uh, Dragon Drive-By. Nice. Don't we get, we get like a fly-by like that in Top Gun, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what they, they do the tower. They, they ask permission to buzz the tower and he says negative. Right. And, you know, he goes, he does it anyway. And that's when he gets dressed down. Yeah. Oh, have you flying uh, rubber dog shit in, in a Hong Kong, you know, in a cargo ship, something <laughs> like that. Uh, Classic. Similar thing happens in Independence Day, I believe, too, when they're at the airfield, and I think the alien ships buzz it, buzz the building, and then a whole fleet of them comes through and just starts blasting the tarmac and everything. So, yeah. fun to see. We get more detail. That dragon ship is, there, this time, instead of zooming past it in episode two, on the, when Otto was on the way to Dragonstone, we catch it from above, they show it from above, and there's this big dragon figurehead on the front, and the feet of the dragon you know on the, the prow of the oh, ship is what it's called right, right as it's you know right at the water level and you can see both details if you kind of if you're looking for it nice um, it's cool to get an overhead shot of that ship a lot of there seem to be similar design elements from the Horsla Model X Horsla. to this ship um, they're the way that's kind of put together and the type of wood they use looks similar but they're probably just trying to show the Targaryen yeah, style. Uh, line, line and vehicles <laughs> of this period. <laughs> the Targaryen Horsla X. <laughs> and uh, trying to think of a name for their ship. Yeah, that's pretty badass. And there's a cool tracking shot where the camera is moving in reverse as the ship's moving forward and it's keeping pace with it. And we get some good details of the architecture of the front of the ship and everything. Really cool. And uh, so Damon and Rhaenyra are reunited after all this time in the godswood where they have an interesting little conversation and rekindle their bond. And he leaves a message for her in her room. And we'll, we'll get into this, these scenes a little bit more detail later, but at this point it's just kind of running through the uh, order of events and they go out on the town together and they're buddy, buddy again, and they're trusting Mm -hmm. each other again. And then immediately he betrays her trust by 
taking by bringing her into a situation that's she's way over her head, you know, and she's like, what is this place? You can tell that when they get to the pleasure house, it's like just letting us know for sure that like uh, she's an innocent, you know, she's unaware of this type of stuff and uh, she's naive and he's taking advantage of her for his own benefit. He takes off of her her cap when they walk in because he wants everybody in there to see what's going on. And he wants the public to have rumors to make lords less willing to uh, to wed her, basically, to bring himself up in line. If it's if it's uh, if it's Damon who sullied her, then, um, you know, maybe he's the one to wed her to preserve her honor. Yeah, yeah, Westerosi shotgun wedding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, so they rekindled and they forgive each other and they they establish a new rapport and trust. And then immediately, Damon betrays her trust and sets her up to for a fall in the public's eye. And he's <laughs> promptly rewarded, but with erectile dysfunction <laughs> as karma for his his moral indiscretion in her in their relationship. Yeah, you know, and we'll we'll get back to that a little later too, but yeah, that's that's my number five: forgiveness, trust, and betrayal. And there's sort of like a reverse nice. situation of this as well with uh, Otto and Viserys, where uh, Viserys trusts Otto, Otto trusts Viserys. Otto comes to Viserys with the truth, and <laughs> Viserys misinterprets it as being a ploy and a a, a scheme. When in this case, it really mm-hmm. isn't. He was just given this information, and he's coming. It's, it seems he seems like genuine in what he's trying to do by informing the king and being like, "This is a situation that's going to have to dealt with." I thought we should. I should tell it to you in private before the council comes. He's doing what a loyal hand should do in this circumstance. But Viserys is, you know, interpreting it very differently considering all the other circumstances. It's like uh, the boy who cried wolf, you know. He's been scheming and machinating this whole time. And so the one time he tells the truth and he's honest, Viserys is onto the onto the game by now. And he thinks he's crying wolf this time as well with more scheming. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get to, the, to his full reaction and what happens with that later on as well. But that uh, wraps up my number five. Uh, Excellent. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. How about you? What's your number four? My number four is, it's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. (laughs) Uh, Which may not make sense, but... um, in the Godswood, after the night of uh, fun and indulgence, Kristen Cole brings a message from the Queen. So Rhaenyra is summoned to the Godswood uh, there by the Weirwood Tree, and Alicent starts giving her the business, assuming that she has all the information. And at first, Rhaenyra is on the defensive. So there's at the beginning, Alicent is closer to the Weirwood Tree, and the path is goes slightly downhill. And Rhaenyra is, you know, downhill from Allison. Right, right. And then as they they kind of have some back and forth, and Rhaenyra starts to reassure her, "Oh, I would never, I would never, you know, I'm I'm so innocent." Um, Rhaenyra, pretty good liar. Um, so as the conversation goes, Rhaenyra tries to find out how they've gotten this information, and finally she uncovers from Allison. Otto was told. 
right then, Rhaenyra's whole attitude changes. She backs up and she realizes that she now has the advantage in this conversation and in this whole situation. She says, told. And I think she says one more line and then she moves around Allison, takes the high ground where her back, where Rhaenyra's back is to the weirwood tree. And Allison is slightly downhill from her. And they're about the same height, uh, at least with, they probably got like shoes on uh, Rhaenyra's actress. She seems pretty short, but to where <laughs> yeah, she you know, does from the, from the side shots where you can see the weirwood tree and see both of them in profile. Uh, Rhaenyra is a little bit taller than her because she has the high ground. Uh, and from that point forward, Rhaenyra is in control of the conversation and she reassures Allison that Damon never touched her. You know, I swear on my dead mother and basically gains Allison's regains Allison's trust genuinely. And, and Allison portrays that later to Viserys when, he, when they King and queen have a conversation about the whole situation. Yep. So I just, I really didn't catch it on the rewatch, but as I noticed that Rhaenyra's tone changed when she realized that this was all like third or fourth hand information as it's now gotten to Allison, who overheard it from Otto, who was told by, you know, some little spy. Yeah, good catch. So an Allison, or I'm sorry, Rhaenyra turns the tables on that conversation and literally changes position with Allison. It takes the high ground. I just noticed the downward slope of that little path to the weirwood tree. And I was like, oh, Rhaenyra just took the high ground. <laughs> so... You know, by asking questions, she gets to the she gets to uh, she understands how Allison got this information, and now she starts to poke holes into all of it and uses it ultimately to regain Allison's trust, which is big because she has Allison has the ear of the king. Yeah, definitely important to get her trust. Um, it's also interesting to note that a lot of these conversations. And interactions are happening in front of the heart tree at the Godswood. And uh, don't they say that anything that happens in front of a heart tree uh, with its wooden face watching is uh, sort of happening within the sight of the old gods? Mm-hmm. So if it was the old gods who sent a white heart to Rhaenyra in the last episode and, ha- and favoring her for the queenship, will her lust for incest and her dishonesty to Alicent, who trusts her, be frowned upon by the old gods in this episode? Will she fall out of their favor? Because it's also the conversation that she has with Daemon. She's like, you know, she's like, well, there has to be some more reason than hunting my father that you've come back to King's Landing, you know? And she's wearing his necklace and she's like hinting that she wants him to tell her that he came back for her. At least that's the way I was reading it. So this like, desire for incest is being is clearly on display in front of the heart tree and i know the old gods are different than the seven i don't know how the old gods feel about incest (laughs) but it's probably frowned upon (laughs) yeah and uh so i'm wondering you know if they're if the old gods are listening into all of this and Previously, she'd been she'd been pretty 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 uh, innocent and and noble for the most part, you know. Like, yeah, she said fuck the septa, but she did she she hadn't been doing anything bad or sneaky or anything. But now, in the same episode, there's like talk of like hints of incest in front of the heart tree. There's lies and deception in front of the heart tree, and I'm wondering if this could be a bad omen for her moving forward that the old gods may not be so keen on her at this point. (laughs) True, true. Uh, Anything else you want to add about your numero quattro? 
That's it. All right. My number four was the mice lurking. And we talked about the mice representing the spies and the people in the secret passages, but I wanted to just take a minute and talk about the uh, the adventure of the, the secret passage here for a split second. Magor's Secrets. So it's kind of cool when uh, Rhaenyra arrives back to her her chambers and she discovers that somebody's been there and they've left her these ratty clothes and she's all confused about it. But she, she sniffs them. <laughs> <laughs> they smell like, like, who left me this trash? <laughs> and uh, she finds the note and she unscrolls it. And there's a picture, a drawing of the, what of the uh, framed area on the wall. That's kind of shaped like a door, but there's no door handle, you know, and mm-hmm. it must tell the secret of how to open it or something because she goes over and opens it and kind of falls in as if it's the first time she's opening it. And there's just like a look of wonder and excitement on her eyes as she starts to explore the secret passageways. And uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool. I was thinking that Damon knows about the secret passages. He and Viserys probably explored them together as kids. I was imagining. Definitely. 100%. And in episode one, when he's over, over, you know, eavesdropping on that one small council where they're talking about him and the succession. Yeah. He seems to be behind some kind of false wall or something. So, yeah. Yeah. I think Damon, Damon definitely has the inside scoop on the, all of Magor's secrets. Yeah. So that was that, like, like you mentioned that scene, that was like a hint for us that it was Damon in this scene. So having seen him peering through the wall at the small council meeting, Immediately, I was like, "Oh, I was like, oh, this has got to be Damon, you know." Who? It uh, interestingly, it also mm-hmm. means that he can access her bed chambers stealthily. So <laughs> I don't know if that has any implications moving forward. But uh, yeah, so you know, talking a little bit, jumping ahead a little bit, but that shows you that if he, re- if it was really just love, or you know, even just a carnal desire for Rhaenyra, that's what he would do. Yep, he could have just met her right in the chamber. But that's not what he does in this episode. So it makes you think about his it's, true motivations. Yeah, it's it, and I feel like you know the way he uh, the way he's drunken the next morning and like oh, I feel like he even feels torn about it because I do feel like there is a genuine you know potential love interest. You know like that he he's, is attracted to Rhaenyra. But he he feels bad about what he's doing and and using her as a pawn for his own political maneuvering. At least that's the sense that I got from it. We so his desire for power in this circumstance overrides his his um, you know love and respect for Rhaenyra, uh, just as it did when he stole that dragon egg. <laughs> you know? And so yeah, I think he's sort of regretting it and the erectile dysfunction. <laughs> The ED like sort of uh, symbolizes that I think as well, but uh, I did like I thought it was cool how he effectively lets Rhaenyra in on the secret here that there's more to the Red Keep than it seems. Like you mentioned, Magor built the Magor's Holdfast, this section of the Red Keep, and had all these secret passages installed all throughout it. They 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 make a an, an important appearance in the books and later on with Tyrion when he's being whisked to safety by the spider Varys and mm-hmm. they he you know as they're passing a stair uh, a ladder I think in the books 
Varys just casually says, oh, yes, and this ladder leads up to the hands chamber. And he's like, huh, that's where my dad is. He's the hand, you know? <laughs> and so Varys, like, plants the seed for Tyrion to go and crossbow <laughs> Tywin, <laughs> which is cool. But uh, I thought it was neat that Rhaenyra is getting let, let in on all these little secrets, the secret of the dagger and the, the secret message, which can only be seen when it's red hot. That was cool. Which And since it's talking about the prince that was promised and, you know, the long night, effectively, it also makes it significant that that's the dagger that's, that kills the Night King. You know, it's like the prophecy is inscribed on that dagger and it, it's the one that ends up uh, taking out the, the King Resurrector. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, um, I, just, I just always, I mean, I love the idea of secret passages and stuff like that. So I was like living vicariously through Rhaenyra at this point as she's exploring the passages and... Yeah, I feel like the passageway was a little bit of fan service. I mean, it worked, you know, very well for the story of this episode, but it's definitely something I think the fans, especially book fans, have have wanted to see on screen, see more. We got a little bit of sneaking through tunnels, but we didn't get like how those tunnels interact with the main parts of the that we see, you know, the mm-hmm. uh, Viserys chambers, the Hands chamber, uh, the princess's you know bedchamber, and their room. So to see the little you know, the secret door and to see her access it and then get use it to get out to where Damon is on the battlements and then sneak down uh, sort of like Arya did in the season one. Oh, yeah. She comes Good across call. the dragons and she overhears that secret conversation. Uh, and then she has issues getting back into the castle because nobody believes that she's the hand's daughter. <laughs> but apparently Rhaenyra was able just to stroll right back into the Red Keep, no problem. She's got the long white hair, silver hair. Exactly. Can't fake that. And she can speak High Valyrian. So she's yeah. like, blah, 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 just prattle off some High Valyrian. And they're like, okay, okay, we exactly. get it. You're a Targaryen. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, that's a good connection, though, with Arya. Because she also, like you said, gets into a chamber with dragon skulls. Hides between the teeth of she, one of them. Mm-hmm. She hides back behind one of them. She's just such a small little girl. In the books, cool. that scene is even cooler because uh, you're getting some some uh, various type stuff and you're learning about a little bit about how the passages work. He's like feeling his way through the darkness along along the wall to like a specific stone and like pushing that mm-hmm. stone in. There's like no markings or anything that would discern it. It's like, how did he ever figure all this stuff out? There's like bizarre ways to open the passages and they open up into like spiral staircases going down through the floor and crazy stuff. And Very cool. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, so that's pretty much it for my number, f- number four. I just am a sucker for secret passages and labyrinths and <laughs> things of that nature. Yeah, very fun. Very glad we got to see like actual, a main character the main character, more or less, especially moving forward, interact with the secret passageways of the Red Keep. Hells yeah. So how about uh, number three? What do you got? Um, it basically, the, the whole conversation near the end with Viserys and Rhaenyra talking nice. about what's going on, you know, what happened with her, but may, the key, the key quote that I wrote down—that was my number three—is the truth does not matter, only perception. Right, that is which true. you know, it's true in a way. I mean, the truth always matters. In my opinion, the truth always oh, for matters sure. for sure. But for a king and a princess leading a kingdom, the public's perception is everything. As Rhaenyra learned 
in the mummer's farce as they got to watch the show, she says, well, it doesn't matter what they think. I'm going to be the queen and it doesn't matter. Their opinion doesn't matter. Terrible attitude for a ruler. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even exactly. Damon's like, that's, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's a mad king, you know, kind of a quote or a make or the cruel kind of a quote. Yeah, or even Daenerys at some points kind of quote. Yeah, definitely. So she's asking her dad, you haven't even asked me what happened. You you don't even, you know, from her point of view, he doesn't even care what really happened. And that's sort of how he confronts Otto when Otto comes to him with the accusation. He's like, she was seen on the street of silk in the brothel. So what of it? They say, like, like, did she have fun? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was kind Um, of a funny response there. And Otto was like, "Uh uh-oh, this conversation may not go the way I think it's going to go. But back to Rhaenyra and Viserys, and that's when he says, the truth, truth, what actually happened in this case doesn't matter. Now it's the public perception of what happened. What, you know, if the word gets out and all the lords and ladies of Westeros think think that you're sullied and you know no longer marriage material wife material yeah sullied good word evoking exactly the, uh, the unsullied army as nice. well <laughs> yeah 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 uh there's another s word i was trying to think of smirch besmirched i mean besmirched is anyway <laughs> i'll think of it later but <clears throat> so it shows you how different lives that royals if you will live it doesn't matter what really happened. If somebody even have, and we've seen this in the real world, if somebody comes up with baseless accusations, you know, whether it's against a politician or somebody, especially in the middle of a campaign or something, is you know, the mud's going to fly, and they'll the, your, your opponents will throw anything at the wall and see what sticks. So they'll come up with all these baseless accusations, and the public's perception of it and how they might vote, you know, in, in our type of republic you know, can can sway elections and sway outcomes. So in Westeros, the the views and opinion of the common folk, I mean, they don't get, they don't get to vote on king, but they can still remember rebellions and that sort of thing are fueled by rumor and, you know, f- you know, fear mongering and manipulation mm-hmm. of the population as far as what a person has done or not done. And the truth of it, nobody ever really knows a lot of times. Uh, it's just the the public's perception is the thing that turns the tide. Yeah, and the same thing applies to stock markets and currencies as well. Uh, stock markets can live or die by public perception of how a company's doing. You know, somebody can tweet out something that <laughs> casts something into doubt or vice versa, and stocks can plummet or rise. Uh, exactly. When, when Elon first went on Joe Rogan and that... that it took the, oh, yeah. the big puff Tesla. of uh, of the reefer. Uh, I think Tesla stock, you know, Plummeted. just you know, did this quick little dip that came back or something. But it was like this huge dip just because he was on Rogan and smoked marijuana. Yeah, or when in so. 1929 the banks called in their marginal loans and it caused a run on banks. Or 1907 is a better example when J.P. Morgan claimed that Knickerbocker Bank was insolvent and it caused a run on the bank. And, you know, you you don't see Knickerbocker Bank anywhere around here nowadays, do you? <laughs> oh, wow. I need to read into that. So that was a rival of J.P. Morgan, and they basically just 
Uh, I'm not sure if it was a rival or what the exact situation is, but it was called the panic, the bank panic of 1907. And as a result of that, JP Morgan, since he was the one who kind of like predicted it, because every bank is insolvent, they, they loan out money at interest and they don't have the money on hand, at least at that point in time. So mm-hmm. they never have as much money as the deposits. whole thing. Yeah. So, so they make money by loaning out the money that you deposit and they don't have it on hand. So when people went on, made a run for the bank, the money was loaned out. Knickerbocker didn't have the funds to, to supply the holdings of the people who had made the deposits and they went out of business. Yeah. Kind of like we see in It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. Everybody starts to come in. He's like, you know. I don't have all your money. How much do you need right now? I want my money now. And you know, it's a cool scene. He he finally calms everybody down. It's like, listen, I don't have all your money. Everybody's right now. What do you need to get tied you over? It's Interesting. Yeah. Classic, I, I don't know if I've seen scene. that. But yeah, that's a, that's exactly the situation. Basically, people wouldn't take no for an answer. They wanted their money. And since JP Morgan had predicted it, quote unquote, he was the guy that that was given the opportunity to come up with a better system. And he came up with the Federal Reserve. <laughs> Uh, interestingly, he owned the White Star Line, which was which owned the Titanic, and all of his major opponents, Guggenheim, Astor, and Strauss, were all killed on the Titanic when J.P. Morgan bailed out at the at the last hour before departure. And dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it just so happens that Guggenheim, Astor, and Strauss were major roadblocks for the creation of the Federal Reserve. And uh, yeah, currencies in general, especially, well, at least fiat currencies that are backed by nothing, uh, are entirely confidence-based and public perception-based. So if, they, uh, if, if the public loses confidence in the currency, they'll start selling off their currency, results in hyperinflation, and currencies live and die by confidence as well. Uh, another funny one, of, maybe my favorite line of the whole episode from the same conversation with Rhaenyra and Viserys. When Viserys finally says, you put yourself in this compromising position, your courtship is at an end. You will wed Lenore Valerian. And she kind of comes to terms with the with with that. And or, or no, her, her response is, oh, you're just going to marry me off to uh, solve your political headache. He said, you are my political headache. <laughs> yeah, that was a great line, too. You will oh, wed Lenore Valerian and you will do so without protest. <laughs> Oh, that was just such a quick comeback, man. Patty Constantine is really fantastic as Viserys. You are my political headache. Yeah, I, I am not familiar with the actor with anything other than this, but I'm really enjoying his performances throughout this series so far. He's done a really great job. Very good. That was my number three. <laughs> nice. Let's see. What is my number three? Ah, my number three. Karma and Damon. Damon's frustration. <laughs> Yeah, so we talked about the uh, erectile dysfunction being the karma, immediate karma for his treatment of Rhaenyra and abusing her trust, uh, taking her to the brothel and exposing her to the public and intentionally tarnishing her reputation and, uh, you know, attempting to (laughs) tarnish her chastity. Uh, It seems like this is sort of a recurring pattern for Damon that he's, he's stuck in a position where he can't do a lot. And he he acts out in frustration and acts like a dick, and it comes back to bite him. He stole the dragon eggs. He's you know remo- he's sent away from court. He he does all this stuff that you know he, he he's chopping off people's limbs and everything, and that puts him in a bad position with Otto and everybody else. And they're like wondering how they have to deal with him. His actions in the first episode get him removed from the line of succession. 
as Viserys is, uh, you know, naming Rhaenyra heir. So it seems like there's like this self-fulfilling, self-fulfilling prophecy with Damon, where he he nothing is ever enough for him, and he's his actions lead to his situation just getting worse and worse. And it happens a few times in this episode. Uh, he betrays Viserys's trust and is rewarded with banishment. He sends him back to <laughs> the Vale to his bronze bitch. And I, I was thinking, uh, he's like, he's like, wed, wed Rhaenyra to me. And he's like, you're already married. Go back there and deal, you know, hang, deal with your lawful wife, all right? And I'm thinking, hmm, a quick trip through the moon door, and he's single again, <laughs> back on the market, you know? <laughs> may not be a good idea to go tell him to be near the bronze biatch, because he may uh, kill the bronze, <laughs> he may kill her, basically. <laughs> I, th- I think he'd just as soon just leave her alone as go do something nefarious. I was, <laughs> yeah, I was sort of thinking if, you know, th- you know, theory about, you know, a, some game kind of w- several steps down the, down the line that Damon might do is if he were to get his way and get Rhaenyra as a wife. And if they had a child, then I could see Damon doing something really nefarious with Viserys and Alicent's children. Yeah, I could see that too. But also, I agree that he would rather just stay away from from his wife, which is what he's been doing, like living at King's Landing and Dragonstone. But now, since Viserys has said, you're already married, you know, like you can't have Rhaenyra, now she's an obstacle to to his goals. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You absolutely. Know, so. yeah, I didn't think about that. So, yeah, absolutely. We'll look out for the moon door. Yeah. Your sister. He's going to put pressure through the moon door. Like, little Bro, finger. I remember when I first saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, little finger. Oh, oh, my, my God. word. I think right before that, the audience, we learned that uh, Peter and Alyssa Aaron or Lysa Aaron. Lysa, yeah. Uh, were behind basically every almost everything. I mean, Cersei was behind plenty of stuff too, but as far as John Aaron and the events that started, you know, in season one. Yeah. Little Littlefinger and Lysa Aaron Finger. were behind a lot of that. And that was like in, in season five or six, uh, maybe five, where we finally got the reveal of who's behind all this stuff. And then Littlefinger immediately just, you know, cuts the loose ends. <laughs> yeah. Oh my I've only ever loved one woman. And she's like, oh, me. And he's like, your sister. And so Damon will be like, I've only ever loved one woman, Rhaenyra. <laughs> uh, interestingly, crazy, though, crazy. the way that Rhaenyra has been sullied in this episode, another Lysa Aaron parallel, Lysa Aaron had had sex with Littlefinger before she mm. was, you know, when she was, before she was wed and still a maiden. And I think that it was like a political deal that put her in the veil because the uh, John Aaron of the veil was older and ailing and it was, uh, he was willing to accept, you know, that she had been sullied prior because he'd already been married, I think, and been through it all. And there was some kind of wheeling and dealing that led to her being sent to the veil, but it was definitely partially as a result of having slept with Littlefinger, uh, so Littlefinger defiles Lysa and like messes up her uh, her um, whole courtship marketability, marketability. and then here Damon as another parallel to Littlefinger who pushed Lysa through the door he's got a woman that he doesn't like in the veil either he's the one that is responsible for sullying Rhaenyra's uh, marketability as well in yeah, this reputation mm-hmm. and 
So yeah, interesting Littlefinger Liza and Damon Rhaenyra parallels this episode for sure. The uh, another example of Damon and karma <laughs> is he when he uh, betrays Missaria's trust with the lie about her being pregnant and everything. And now we're seeing this episode that he's been being rewarded by her spying on him and <laughs> keeping tabs for Otto. And like you said, or like we were talking about earlier, it may have been happening all along, but you know, he didn't do anything to help the situation <laughs> for sure. Like maybe if he treated her like a queen, she'd be like, you know, I'm going to stop spying on you. But <laughs> instead he's lying about her, spreading rumors, all this stuff. And it makes her easy for him, makes it easy for her to <laughs> spy on him and get paid for it. She's even trying to be nice here. And she gives him, you know, a hangover cure that she's whipped up and he just dumps it on the ground. And then she's like, you know, like, I'm sick of this bastard. And it's at that moment when the, the little boy shows up to give her the cash money. <laughs> and she probably doesn't feel too guilty about it, considering the way she, that he's being, she's being treated in that scene. So yeah, karma and Damon self-fulfilling prophecies and just seems to be constantly frustrated and unable to accomplish his goals and that seems like it seems like erectile dysfunction is a uh, like a metaphor for that scene for that whole idea that he's he's <laughs> he just can't can't finish when he wants to when he wants to start you know <laughs> which is funny but sad also uh so that pretty much wraps up my number three how about uh number two what do you got bro uh, my number two is a little bit of a, a conspiracy theory, but Ooh. I wonder if the moon tea that Maester, Grandmaster Melos brings to her at the end, he says is from the king, but I wonder if that's true. Mm. Obviously, it would be to the king's benefit <laughs> if Rhaenyra didn't get pregnant. So on the surface level, it seems like it probably did come from the king. But what what is our going theory about the high towers of Old Town, Maesters. and the Maesters of the Citadel. Yeah, that they're working together in some kind of conspiracy. Potentially. So I'm thinking maybe it's not from the king. This t- moon tea is from the Citadel and the High Tower. Yeah. Because we know, or we think, we know the High Towers want Baby Aegon on the throne, and if the Citadel is working, and they, you know, their interests are aligned, we think then the maesters would want baby Aegon on the throne as opposed to Rhaenyra or Daemon. Yeah. Or, or anybody else. So if they think that Daemon and Rhaenyra got together, so we, we talked a little bit about it earlier. If Daemon and Rhaenyra had a child, it would basically combine or at least fuse their claims to the throne. And, and Rhaenyra has been named heir. So her male heir would definitely... If, if they had a child and it was a uh, a boy. Right. There's like a full blood Targaryen versus a half Targaryen, half Hightower. The full blood right. Targaryen would take precedence. This, the new baby of Daemon and Rhaenyra would be the blood heir of the named heir, Rhaenyra. Mm-hmm. So the succession would be almost irrefutable. Yeah. And would totally leave the Hightowers and, you know, the Maesters of the Citadel out in the cold as far as baby Aegon. And his claim. So it definitely, so as again, conspiracy theories, not anything that I have nailed down for sure, because the king obviously wouldn't want Damon and Rhaenyra to have a child either. 
I, I mean, I don't think because he don't want Damon to marry her. He, right. sent, he sends him away. So, and he wants her to be marketable. You know, he needs her for the Valerians at this point. Valerians <laughs> and, and to to solve that that political headache. So Corliss, Valerian, and his son Lenor aren't going to want Rhaenyra if she's been sullied. So it's in everybody. In this case, it's basically in everybody's interest. And but the thing is that nobody realizes, besides Kristen Cole and Rhaenyra, is if she were pregnant, it's not Damon's. It's going to come out looking like you know. I mean, maybe he's looked like a Targaryen, but what if it comes out looking Dornish? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that would throw everybody for a loop because there's no way Damon and Rhaenyra should have a Dornish looking yeah, baby. brown haired baby. I don't see. <laughs> like, what's, what's going on here? I was. Uh, what really happened that night? So yeah. that was kind of my theory of, of perhaps that moon tea. And so Grandmaster Melos doesn't stick around. It's like at the psychiatric hospitals, you know, take your pills and you know, make you sure that it. you took it. Yeah. Grandmaster Melos didn't stick around and watch her drink the tea. So, and I mean, he leaves and then the episode ends. So she, she might not even drink it at all. Yeah. So we could, could end up with a, a Kristen Cole, uh, a Kristen Cole baby. Um, so it's, you know, pretty interesting. I was th- trying to think about that moon tea and it's like, hmm, where, if it's not from the King, you know, if you try to think about, if you start to think about who, who else would be. Right. Interested in that making that happen to make sure that that she she doesn't get pregnant yeah westerosi plan b <laughs> yeah um speaking plan of t <laughs> speaking of the uh maester conspiracy viserys is back is all messed up as we see when he's <laughs> having sex with allison it's like he's rotting slowly from the inside basically. out basically mm-hmm. and uh the maesters have allegedly been treating this but I'm just wondering, since they don't like the dragons, theoretically, if they're just trying to kill all the Targaryens and poison everybody so that they have weak, controllable children and that they uh, they don't stand much of a chance uh, in terms of uh, propagating and staying strong, if they're poisoning the dragons and making them smaller, if they're poisoning the actual rulers, who knows? This Moonti, interestingly enough, he was talking about how if you if you cook it up wrong it could result in deformed babies also liza aaron took the moon tea and it made her nutso it can screw you up if you don't cook it right so the reason that she's so neurotic and like uh eccentric we're told is that Mm -hmm. it's from the moon tea a bad batch of moon tea that that she had to drink because of Littlefinger defiling her and (laughs) and it messed her up for life so, you know, there's dan- There's a lot of <laughs> potential dangers. The maesters could be intentionally mixing moon tea badly to sabotage Targaryens. Uh, who knows how what, what like how that's affected people? Uh, how, aside from the incest, they say you know flipping a coin like fifty fifty chance if a Targaryen's going to be crazy or not. Mm-hmm. Some of that could be from. De- moon tea <laughs> derangement from and it could alcohol like, i don't know how immediate those effects are known by a bad batch of moon tea but that's this is even an, an even better conspiracy theory than than i initially thought because grandmaster Mello says he took great care in brewing it but what if he took great care in brewing it bad yeah exactly instead of breaking bad he bre- <laughs> brewing bad <laughs> boom, and boom, because boom. if he if, if she got a bad batch of moon tea the, the high towers of Old Town and, and the citadel of Old Town 
They don't want Rhaenyra to reproduce. Yeah, definitely. With anybody, with a Valerion, with a Targaryen, make her infertile with, for life. Uh, little boy Bracken or Blackwood. Uh, they don't. So if they gave her a messed up batch, that may solve you know one of their kind of one branch or one arm of the their Targaryen problem. Yeah, uh, man. When uh, when she was being called to meet with the king, I thought they were going to do a chastity check, and I was having uh, that crossed my mind because they is that when they they show her feet. Like walking down the, the oh yeah possibly. the hallway Not and sure. she's escorted by the king guard the king's guard and I was like oh are they gonna do the maester thing and because somebody seems like somebody in the original series has that happen or they talk about it maybe that was Marjorie was getting her her chastity checked I don't remember <laughs> let us know audience <laughs> if, you, if you remember yeah I don't remember it specifically happening maybe they mention it or they mention it somebody off screen. Had I can't yeah I can't recall exactly. I remember like an inspection taking place on a bed with people watching and like craziness <sighs> going on. Bro, privacy much? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Okay, so yeah, my number two is caged bird, free bird. The two the parallel scenes between Alicent and Rhaenyra that are kind of taking place. Uh, during Rhaenyra's excursion into the into King's Landing with Daemon, mm-hmm. uh, it starts off with handmaidens gathering to deliver candle baskets to various chambers. It looks like uh, now that dusk has arrived at the castle, and it's sort of a cool shot where they all meet together and they're picking up their their candles that, that are dangling in these basket type things, and they all go off to different chambers to deliver them <laughs> thought that was kind of funny a little bit of behind the scenes action right yeah how the castle runs yeah I, 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 even on the rewatch i'm like what i mean they're i didn't think of them as you know that is the the night's lighting for everybody's bed chambers and you know library or wherever people are spending their evening and into the night i, I didn't just, until you just said it, it didn't click with me that these are just servants bringing the Night torches, more or less. Yeah, that's. I was wondering about it, and that's kind of what I came to the conclusion of after <laughs> sitting there thinking about it. For <laughs> Who are these people? What are they doing? <laughs> yeah, what are they doing? Who are they? Where, yeah. <laughs> so, what uh, is the meaning of this? Yeah, what is the meaning of this? And uh, so it's at this moment when we learn that, speaking of being trapped in a tower and popping out baby after baby, Allison has delivered yet another. Uh, baby for Viserys. It seems to be a little baby girl this time, potentially. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe so. And you can tell she's not having the greatest time. She's kind of bouncing the baby. <laughs> and we see her from behind at first. And I thought that she was just having a freak out, like an anxiety <laughs> thing. Like she was chewing her nails and bouncing around. But then she spins around and she's got the baby and she's, uh, you know, hopefully not shaking it because you don't want shaking baby syndrome, but she's bouncing it around. And you could tell she's not too stoked about this whole situation. Like she looks at the baby to try to comfort it, but she's kind of just staring off into the distance and performing her duties. Yep. As a father of four, I'm here to tell you that some days it'd be like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can understand that. So yeah, Rhaenyra, then it cuts to Rhaenyra and it's going to cut back and forth between Alicent and Rhaenyra throughout the rest of the the night and it's like comparing the the lived experiences of the two and contrasting them so next it cuts to Rhaenyra and she's walking down the hallway and it's a cool transition or an effective transition because we can hear the baby 
crying in the background. So we know that they're kind of situated nearby one another. And she stops to say goodnight to uh, Sir Kristen, who, you know, standing ahead, not paying any attention, kind of gives a half turn and wishes her goodnight, sleep well. And that's when she discovers the note and the secret passage. And she gets down into Balerion's chamber. Oh, I, I had the, a cool comparison. When, when she opens the door and finds the secret chamber, I felt like that was the moment when Alice goes down the rabbit's hole. You nice, know, and like definitely. everything is about to change from this point out. And <laughs> so that was kind of cool. And uh, she gets down there in Balerion's chamber and candles just must just be burned there perpetually in, in honor of the great dragon, which is nice to see that respect is being shown as opposed to King Robert, who just like stuffed him down in the, in the basement and got rid of him, put him out of sight. The mice symbolizing the spies and ne'er-do-wells creeping around. Damon is awaiting her by the door to the that uh, you know at the battlements, like you said, it seems to an external stairway, and they slink off into the night. Uh, Rhaenyra is wondering where they're going. She's like so out of her element here, and we get all kinds of cool stuff down in King's in King's Landing. Dragon shaped braziers that are shooting out flames, no doubt removed by the usurper when he killed Rhaegar and took Ares's throne. And untargaryened all of King's Landing. <laughs> Must have been a except massive for the money. Oh yeah, except for I the money in the original series. Like, oh, ten golden dragons. It's like Robert left golden dragons as the <laughs> premier, like golden dragons. That I think that was like the highest, you know, silver form of stags. currency. Yeah. It's like yeah, they have silver stags, but the king doesn't get golden stags. They kept the the gold dragons. I always yeah, thought that was kind of funny. I mean, they're probably real gold that was in circulation. Oh so yeah, they're like. We can't, the expense to collect all the gold from the realm, Remint bring it, it to King's Landing and yeah, remake it into little stags instead of little dragons there. Robert's probably like, oh, I don't care. Yeah. Make me some silver as stags. As long as I and, have the gold. <laughs> yeah, as long as I have the gold. Exactly. <laughs> He's just spending it like crazy. <laughs> um, so I'm thinking as they're kind of moving through King's Landing here and seeing all the stuff and like Renee, Rhaenyra should have been doing this the whole time to get a feel for her people that she's going to be ruling one day and uh, getting an idea of what it's like to be a commoner and all that. She seemed like totally out of her element this whole time. This is something that they should just be constantly doing, dressing up like commoners and going out with a king's guard undercover, you know, so they can get a feel for everything. So yeah, the uh, somebody... Somebody confuses Rhaenyra for a boy and says, fuck off, boy. <laughs> Which is funny because we've been picking up on Rhaenyra and Arya parallels. And Arya was confused for a boy as well. After the Night's Watchman cut her hair in season one, right after Ned was beheaded. Oh, who was that guy? Yorin. Yorin, uh, is he a Tully? No. Yeah, I mean, we may not even known his last name. Sorry, I just... Oh, no, I was like, man, I love that guy. I, I know, like, he was so was cool. his name? I saw him in something else, too. A uh, captivating actor, you know. He's, he's, uh, he's got a good on-screen presence. So, yeah, he slices off Arya's hair, and she starts going by Ari. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of Arya, Ari. <laughs> and uh, just, like, switch around a couple of letters, and it basically spells, spells Ari. So that was pretty funny. 
And we get to see a creepy lady with no eyeballs who's like, do you wish to know your death, child? <laughs> it's like, how do you know it's a child? You can't Bro, even see. Super She's super creepy. Clearly Man. magical. <laughs> Great special effects there. Or maybe they hired an eyeless lady for the, <laughs> for the role. <laughs> a tragical cooking accident. Tra- did I say tragible? A, tra- a tra- 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 tragic cooking accident. Oh, man. So then it cuts over to Alicent, who's dumping water into the bath chamber or into the bathtub, I believe. And um, she sees one of the handmaidens kind of like j- smashing away at, at Viserys's arm as she's sponge bathing him. And she she takes over the the job of giving him his sponge bath. Let me take that and kicks everybody else. Leave us, all of you. Kicks him out of the room. And like I mentioned before, despite being forced into this position when she has to, and even when she doesn't have to, she stepped in here to do it. She's quite the caring and dutiful young lass. You know, <laughs> she's uh, Otto would be proud of her for doing her job the best as she can. Duty over love. Yeah, exactly. And she's doing she would it. love to be a free bird and out having fun like Rhaenyra, but she's trapped in a castle to exactly. squeeze out airs. Exactly. It's so brutal. And so then it cuts back to the, uh, and you see, we see Viserys's effed up fingers, you know, like in this shot as well, he's got him on the bathtub and on the edge and she walks over to it. And that's the arm that she starts sponge bathing with her softer touch than the handmaiden, far kinder touch. Yeah, they should have like had the handmaiden like scrubbing, like scrubbing him hardcore, and he's like, "Oh, stop, stop!" Oh, I kind of thought she was. She was like dab, dabbing at his arm. Uh, I mean, yeah, like, more like where beforehand eye. it was obvious that he was annoyed with how they didn't have uh, what was it, was it called with the doctor bedside manner. Bedside manner, yeah. Like uh, they didn't have nice uh, bathing manner. They were just like <laughs> scrubbing, <manner>. like. <laughs> Yeah, Tubbs, yeah, perfect. <laughs> they did, they weren't having that. And so Allison had to come in and take over. Even on the rewatch, I was like, were they like scrubbing him super hardcore or something? But it looked like they were pretty having a, a pretty deft touch. But, you know, according to the king, they, they didn't. So Allison was much better suited for the job, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then it cuts back to we see how the, the how their nights are going totally opposite directions and cuts back to the streets of King's Landing. And we get a, that fun performance of, of street actors with their over-exaggerated acting and everything. Your Honor, I object. You would. Over-actor. Yes. <laughs> Over-actor. And uh, <laughs> they have Rhaenyra like poop on the throne, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> and the guy Wah, with a big old horn for the sound effect. They did. They, they love their flatulence because uh, I remember some flatulence occurring in the Bravosi Street play as well. I think when King Robert dies, or maybe yeah. maybe when Joffrey dies. I think King Robert. It's hilarious. So this was a really funny scene. And <laughs> as they talk about how um, Rhaenyra would be feeble as a leader, she's like, boo. <laughs> she got, had her own little input. Nobody knows her. Uh, that, that made me laugh a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's important for her to be seeing how the people feel so that she can modify her actions to win, to earn their respect and uh and as as their leader in the future so this is important she's learning some lessons here 
And uh, it, it also, she doesn't seem like she's super offended by the whole thing, which is good. Like, uh, if it was Joffrey, who would have been like, you know, like, oh, all upset about it and everything. And then it cuts back to Alicent again, and she's uh, finally finished with the, the sponge bath and sips her wine, blows out the candle. She's ready for sleep. And uh, I, this is when I started noticing the, the juxtaposition of Rhaenyra and Alicent's situations, caged versus free, Though both, although both of them are about to be taken advantage of by older men in different ways. Uh, unfortunately, they're both going to have a rough night of it in terms of that. So then it cuts back down to the street. And, uh, oh, I skipped a part. Actually, yeah, sorry, I forgot. After they leave the uh, the play there, um, Rhaenyra steals a bit of something. What did she steal? Like a piece of bread or yeah, something? I couldn't tell what it was, if it was food or like some kind of little trinket. I couldn't tell. Yeah, it's it highlights the hypocrisy of Daemon, though, who's just lopping off hands for... <laughs> for people stealing it in episode one, but here he's he doesn't care. It's the blood of the dragon, and like he says, their word is law, and they can take what they want. As he yeah, tells that was later that on. was another great line. Your word is truth and law. Yeah, really cool line. Uh, so when we get back down to King's Landing, <laughs> she's running through the streets, Rhaenyra, and she like runs into Harwin Breakbones, who's like, "What are you doing?" And she's like, "Oh, Sir Harwin." <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty boy. sure he calls her boy too. <laughs> yeah, when they're when they're uh, they're leaving, he's like, "What does he say?" Uh, oh yeah, stop, boy. Oh, the 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 guy who she steals from says to stop, boy, as well. And then Sir Harwin is the third person to call her boy. You take care, boy. Next time you might not be so lucky. <laughs> pretty funny. Damon's like, his attitude is, "We have dragons. We can do whatever we want. The other lords don't have a say." You know, basically. And uh, it's at this point when Viserys sends his you up text in the, in the form of a handmaiden coming to knock on Alicent's chambers. Yeah, separate bedchambers unless the king desires the presence of the queen. Yeah, interesting, huh? So that, that led me to believe that in the morning when Otto comes to deliver the message, he didn't necessarily expect... Uh, Alicent to be in the chamber to hear about the situation with Rhaenyra at the whorehouse. And that may have been an unintended consequence. And it's only because Alicent told Rhaenyra and gave her the heads up and said that the information came from her father that Rhaenyra complained about Otto to Viserys and got him fired. So indirectly, it was Alicent's loyalty to Rhaenyra that got her father fired from the handship. Mm-hmm. which is pretty yeah. pretty intense. So the, the the handmaiden's like, pardon me, your grace, the king has requested your presence. And she's like, the hour's quite late. And she's just like, yep. <laughs> but, you know, he's the king. <laughs> Nothing you can do. Like, what are you going to say? No. So then it cuts back down to, uh, you know, it's clear sex is about to be happening. Then it cuts back down to Damon and Rhaenyra and they're entering the pleasure house and she's just way out of her element. Um, and like, like Viserys is doing to Alicent at the same moment, or at least the way they're showing it, Damon is drawing Rhaenyra into a situation out of her control, a sexual situation that she's not necessarily um, all about, <laughs> but he's doing it anyway. And there's just like all this crazy sex going on. It's like the, uh, the, 
the tapestries all throughout the kingdom of the various sexual activities are like all manifested in full color now as we <laughs> as we enter the the whorehouse again. It cuts back to Alicent and she's just lying there like staring into the distance as Viserys is on top of her having his way with her. And uh although when he like looks at her she smiles and like plays nice about it. She's clearly not into it. And these are all little things that when when Rhaenyra comes back to Viserys and tells him like Otto is self-centered and self-obsessed and he's not thinking about things in your interest. He's probably looking back at all these little details like, well, she's not into having sex with me. She, you know, she appeared at the perfect time when I was sorrowful to, to, you know, ha- let me cry on her shoulder basically and be there for me. And he realizes that, that Otto has been manipulating him and that Alicent is playing a role in it as well. Uh, but it's at this part where the camera cuts to a shot above the bed, looking down at them, and we see that his Viserys' back is all fucked up, and he's rotting away. And are the maesters poisoning him? You know, <laughs> more of that theory. So then we're back in the whorehouse, and <laughs> Damon whisks away Rhaenyra's hat, and uh, they know him at this whorehouse, and so they'll recognize him and who he is. And since he's with her, the silver-haired maiden that. Mysaria has said they could potentially get for him, you know, or, or the real one in this case, they're going to know who she is because they know who he is. Two people yep. with the same matching hair like that showing up here in a family that's known for incest and they're making a public show of it. And so Damon is clearly doing this on purpose, using her for his own gain, exposing her to, to be in a compromising position to the public making it more likely that she'll be married off to him. Uh, and she's out of her element. This is like uh, like a grooming type situation where he's, he's plying her with alcohol and then luring her into a brothel and like exposing her to all this stuff she hasn't seen before and uh, taking advantage of her, basically. I mean, she had showed interest to him, with, like hinting with the necklace and stuff like that, but <laughs> this is all happening really fast. And he's like teaching her you know, marriages are just for, you know, uh, policy, for politics, you know, we can fuck whoever we want, you know? And he's like, he's, he's, he's training her, grooming her about the realities of this, uh, this type of situation as he sees it. Like Alicent says in her discussion with Viserys later on, uh, that she's only doing this because of Damon's efforts to corrupt her, uh, which is, you know, at least partially true. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a commenter who mentions this, and eloquently, we'll get to that in our Ravens Calls section. Uh, you know, Damon's like, this is where people come to take what they want. Fucking is a pleasure, you see, for the woman as it is the man. And he's tell- he's like enticing her into it. And she doesn't put up a fight, but at the same time, it's <laughs> the way that he's going about this is wholly inappropriate. Bringing her out in public. You know, it'd be one thing if he showed up in her chambers and... And, you know, she, the, the king's guard is right there. She could call for help uh, if he was being forceful or making her do something she didn't want. But as she tells Allison, you know, he, he was my escort through the city. She doesn't have any options here. You know, she, what's she going to do? Walk home alone? She ends up doing that anyway and being in danger. But uh, at this time, you know, he's the, he's the boss, basically, of this situation. And she's following him around and he's acting as her custodian 
and abusing that position of power over her uh, in the most insidious of ways in this scene. And um, he's, you know, simultaneously grooming her and using her as a political pawn to further his own ambitions by tainting her public reputation. And (laughs) karma instantly hits him and he can't even follow through with what he tried to start with the ED. But the damage is already done. You know, like he said, uh, like, like Viserys said, the truth doesn't matter. It's all about the public perception. And Damon doesn't even bother trying to refute Viserys when he accuses him of of defiling Rhaenyra because even though he didn't which comes which uh, they mentioned in the inside the episode they clarify that he had ED here and was unable to follow through with his attempted uh you know defiling yeah to me that didn't come across all that well in the episode it seemed to me that he was having you know i mean a moral crisis or he he's definitely conflicted but it seemed to me more of a a logical, you know, a head decision and a heart decision because he knew what he was doing. Like he's using Rhaenyra. Right. Even though he own, loves her and he feels bad about it. Right. He, and he's conflicted. So as she continues to try to, to, to play along, you know, in the and she turns session, to face him and he can see eye to eye who he's doing it to. Right. In the episode, it seemed to come across me that he basically had a change of heart. In the moment, it hit ha, him having, you know, perform male performance issues. Like I didn't get that until they, the director was talking about it. And after the episode oh, and yeah. looking back on it and re, in a rewatch, I was like, okay, I, I see, but I see where that happens, you know, in the episode. But the first time I watched it, it that wasn't clear to me. It seemed like he had a, he made a decision instead of be, being unable to perform. So I don't know if that could have been directed. I mean, it's obviously, I mean, I'm I'm no movie director, but, and they didn't want to say it because it's like, (laughs) it kind of ruins the whole. She could have looked down and been like, what's the matter? You know? Yeah. I mean, there's different ways to go about it, but they, I guess they didn't want any dialogue in that little montage of them, but tastefully shot to me. Yeah. Yeah. And to keep it, you know, from being raunchy, they, (laughs) they didn't go there. Right. You know, her, demeaning him or <laughs> making some kind of joke at his expense. Uh, <laughs> they didn't want to go there with the tone of, of this, the episode and of the scene. So it did to me, it wasn't really clear that that was his issue. It seemed like he was having a change of heart, but either way, you know, it was, it, was it actually did come across you know, to me. Okay. Nice. Um, because I had remembered the first episode when he was with my and he couldn't get right. it up. And, uh, and so immediately when he had like his his drastic attitude change, there wasn't enough that changed in the scene in my mind to like trigger that for, for, for anything other than like he's having the same failure that he was having with Masaria. And he's yeah. it's like, oh, he's embarrassed. He can't say anything. He just has to leave, you know. And then he's so hung over because he's drowning his sorrow from the ED with, with just drowning himself in his cups. Yeah. Uh, so brutal. So that part, that part where Rhaenyra is recounting the story to Alicent, you know, he sank into his cups and that was more or less the end of the night. You know, that happens off screen because the last we see of Damon, he is having his issues and he just leaves. Yeah. <laughs> leaves Rhaenyra, leaves Rhaenyra there, you know, half dressed, um, totally alone in the middle of King's Landing. It's so like, brutal. 
this, this is the heir to the throne. Right. And you just leave in your niece and obviously somebody you care about. In danger. You know, at least a little bit romantic. It's like you just made sure everybody would recognize her and now you're leaving her alone without protection. Like she was fine with you because oh. you're the best swordsman in, in all the realm, you know, but yeah. she's just alone to fend for herself without her dragon, without any anything. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to bring up our our listener our f- listener feedback regarding this scene because it's really well written. Lady Rachel of House Kutevis says, the whole sequence of Daemon taking advantage of Rhaenyra hit me really hard. That was a fantastic display of real-world grooming, from drunken, hazy, confusing attention to being left cold, underdressed, embarrassed, and alone. Claire Kilner, ladies and gents, what a director. And yeah, I think it was really well shot. And the way she put it about how you know, the groomer will give you all the attention in the world, you know, to amp you up and get you, you get your blood up so that you, you're into the situation. But then as soon as they, they've done had and had their way with you, um, they're just gone and you're left to put the pieces together and confused and pretty, uh, I, you know, well-written. Thanks for the feedback, Lady Rachel. Nice to hear from you. First time feedback, I believe. So, so yeah, pretty crazy. And it's at this moment that we see the, the the white worm's little bird seeing Rhaenyra as she leaves and huffs off. And uh, yeah, just the parallels between Rhaenyra and Alicent were strong to me. The, the opposite. In, and um, when they end up meeting in the garden, in the godswood after this, uh, they're they're discussing the situation and everything kind of comes to a head. And it seems to me that Alicent is is very hurt by this whole situation personally. It seems personal. She seems very upset. Her face is quivering. More really good acting by by the actress here. And um, it's like she sees all this opportunity that Rhaenyra has to make something great of her life. She can pick her own husband. She's the princess. She she has the options are, are limitless, and she's stuck in this cage in this tower with this old man who's rotting apart. Probably stinks with the you know from the wounds and everything. And she's got to deal with all this the trauma of giving birth and doing all this stuff she doesn't want to do. She's like living vicariously through Rhaenyra. She always has been. As the daughter of the Hand, she would look up to Rhaenyra, who's the princess, and mm-hmm. envy her situation. The grass is always greener on the other side, you know? And she sees what Rhaenyra is doing out there and squandering this opportunity that she has that's going to limit her, her potential options in the future with, with suitors if they find out and, and you know, or <laughs> have it checked or something. It could it could be really problematic. And she seems hurt by this. Like she is, she's in rough shape as, uh, as, as they're having this conversation. I thought it was really well done. She points out, Rhaenyra points out in that scene that Damon was her caretaker, which makes it like a egregious abuse of power to be grooming her in this, like taking advantage of his position of power. Like I mentioned, um, Rhaenyra swears upon the memory of her mother that Damon never touched her. And this is just like Viserys swore to her on the memory of her mother that he would not supplant her as the heir to the throne. So since she's lying about this situation and using the death of her mother here to cement her lie, it wonder, I wonder if it's foreshadowing that Viserys' uh, promise on the mother will also be sort of voided 
And I'm wondering if he will end up supplanting her as leader or as heir in the future at some point. Uh, and you were talking about how the, the power dynamics shifting as she takes the high ground. I have the high ground! <laughs> Which is just awesome not- Awesome that you noticed that. It was really cool. Um, but the power dynamics end up switching again by the end of the conversation when uh, Allison's like, it was foolish of you to place yourself in a position where your virtue could even come into question. You know, the king has strived to find you a good match and so have I. And if that lord were to think you had been sullied, it would ruin everything. You're you. You're everything. <laughs> <laughs> Alice and Sansa parallels being forced into these positions and, you know, viewing things in that manner. If that lord were to think that you were being sullied, it would ruin everything. I know. And she was just like, verge of tears on this. And mm-hmm. Rhaenyra calms back down and says, I know your, I know your grace. She calls her your grace, you know, mm-hmm. submitting so, to her authority. Yeah, kind of sucking up to her a little bit. To yeah. Just cement that, you know, try to smooth over this whole conversation and accusation. Yeah, it's against like her. she knows that she won the argument. So she's letting Allison think she's in control again, mm-hmm. you know, or something. And, uh, she tells her she regrets it. But I, yeah, I thought that was interesting choice of words. Your grace. Definitely, yeah. Play, playing to Allison's title. Yeah. So that's uh, my number two is the comparison and the parallels and the like sort of equal and opposites of uh, the situation between Rhaenyra and Alicent in this episode. thought it was pretty interesting. How about your number one? Uh, my number one is is part of this and going into, into Damon's... Uh, showdown with King Viserys after the night of uh, debauchery. Um, nice basically word. my number one my, my number one was Damon and his motivations. Ooh. So we see what he does, but what we're left to try to deduce is what is Damon's end game? What what is he what does he want? What are his motivations for the things that he does? Because if he just wanted to be with Rhaenyra in, in a sexual way, he would have used that secret passageway and just gone to her bedroom. And, you know, had fun or whatever. But he he didn't do that. He brought her out into town and they or she has a hat on and he has his uh, cloak pulled way down. Way like down. Super Strider, you know, Lord of the Rings, Aragorn <laughs> yeah. uh, style Aragorn. at the very beginning in the tavern. I mean, he's like way down in the dark and he just yep. likes the pipe and you barely see his face. Yeah, you that's can't a see really Damon's cool face. shot. I just watched that. And like, oh, yeah, I love it. The, the ember puffs up and you... You can't see Damon's face at all as they first start walking through. He's got his cloak pulled way down. They do they do the mummer show. They're both still incognito, and they walk into the brothel or the pleasure house. And Damon pulls her cap off and he hands it to this lady who's just standing there, like in one one fell swoop, one smooth move. He just goes boop, takes her cap off. Um, Rainier is sort of like, wait, what? Yeah, Hold on now, no you're, you're outing me. You're outing me, bro. Yeah. You know, don't, don't tase me, bro. Don't out me, bro. Don't tase me, bro. <laughs> um, and he, ha- he, like, he immediately just hands the cap off to this, you know, work, just a person who's standing there. I guess she works uh, at the establishment and then they continue walking in. And I think he had already pulled his hood down or he does it soon after that. Yeah, he had taken his cloak off entirely at that point. So that, that, that shows you his intention. 
That shows you Damon's intention is not to have a secret fun night out on the town, which is what it seems like at the beginning. Because he 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 outs himself. He outs Rhaenyra without per- her permission yep. or without uh, without even talking to her about it. Not cool, dude. Yeah, um, that same thing. Not cool. <laughs> not, not cool at all. Um, so, and then you know everything that we t- kind of covered. What hap- what transpires between Damon and Rhaenyra. So then, and we can talk about her and Cole later, I guess, because this is mainly about Damon. Mm-hmm. But once Viserys literally has him dragged into the throne, drug dragged. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm not into sure. the throne room. And he's still totally hungover and, you know, doesn't even attempt to get up. They have this whole conversation with Damon laying on the floor. Um, and then at the end, he this, takes a nap. He rolls over and <laughs> he rolls over and like still doesn't really move much. <laughs> so Damon says, oh, what is the charge so that I can attempt to discredit it? And then he says, you defiled her. And I think that's when he kicks when Viserys kicks him. Yeah. Still, still, you say nothing. Oh, what does it matter? <clears throat> and then he says what they, you know, they did when they were young. And um, he says, you know, she's just a girl. It's your niece. Uh, Rainier is a woman grown. He's literally leading Viserys to, to believe, believe that they really did have sex and that he's defiled her. Her reputation is ruined. And it's all. And then we finally it's see it appears, you know, uh, what we think is Damon's goal in this whole situation just to create that impression. You know, what Lord will wed her now in this, condi- in this condition? Uh, and then he says, it doesn't matter what any Lord thinks. You are the dragon. Your word is truth and law. And then Viserys, Epic. you know, t- uh, once again, I spent a lifetime defending you. Your heart is even blacker than I thought. Oh, bro, what a brutal line. Uh, I should disinherit her and be done uh, as I already did with you and be done with it. And then Damon lays his intentions out there. Wed her to me. And then he tries to cash in his uh, when they're seen in the throne room at the beginning. Yep. Um, you said I could have anything. I want Rhaenyra. I'll take her as she is and wed her in the tradition of our house. You so, are already wed. Yeah. It's like Damon. I mean, that that is ruthless. Yeah. Totally ruthless. Totally to ruthless. Use your niece in that way. The princess of Dragonstone, the heir to the Iron Throne, your niece by blood, and to just use her like that, make her think that it's a fun night out on the town where she can not be burdened by her inheritance, right? And her like role she said, and responsibilities. That's all she wants, just for one night, and he can't even do that. And he start. He gives her a little bit of that night, and then he totally uses her, leaves her at the brothel. It makes no attempt to discredit the accusation that Viserys brings against him, and just use is using this whole situation to try to get Rhaenyra as a wife. And I don't even think it's because he wants her as a wife necessarily out of you know love or even lust. He wants her for the political power he can wield, especially if they were to have a child, a male child together. That's certainly a large portion of it. Although I think that he's trying to like have his cake and eat it too here. He knows that Rhaenyra's into him. She's out meeting with the suitors, but she's wearing the necklace that he gave to her. You know, like he's got his mark on her. They've have these like little back and forth kind of things that it's like, will they, won't they, but they're related. So it's weird. <laughs> um, in episode one, Mysaria, when he's having his ED issue, says that she could get him a silver haired maiden if she, if he wants 
so I think that there is an element of physical and, you know, they're like a, a love, like, uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's love or whatever, but I think that there is an element of attraction, legitimate attraction between Damon in towards Rhaenyra. So he's mm-hmm. thinking that maybe since she's already on board with the whole thing, that he can manipulate the situation to make their marriage more more likely to happen by, you know, <laughs> sullying her publicly and making it so other lords won't want her so he can raise his 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 likelihood of marrying her and also his likelihood of seating sitting the uh, the iron throne simultaneously so i think it's like a mixture of the two like he has strong political ambitions and rhaenyra is his ticket to the top but he also like legitimately likes rhaenyra and so he's trying to do the both simultaneously and he's making a big mess out of everything <laughs> as usual yeah Definitely. Yeah. Alt Shift X, yeah, X was saying this whole episode is everybody making terrible decisions. Yeah. Great analysis. <laughs> Just everybody making really bad decisions. Yeah. That was good. I agree with Alt Shift X completely on that. And then, uh, and then Damon is banished once again. Yeah. And before he gets, before he banishes him, he tells, uh, he's like, I'll take her as she is and wed her in the tradition of our house. And, uh, and Viserys is like, you are already wed. And he replies, that didn't stop Egon the Conqueror from taking a second wife. And that comment throws Viserys over the edge. He's like, you are no conqueror. And whoosh, pulls out the, the, the cat's paw dagger and holds it to his throat. And that's Egon's blade, as we yes, learn. You know, yeah, don't bring up Egon, because I got his blade right here for you. Yeah, Shane. I rode Balerion. I have Egon's dagger. I have Blackfire. You know, you're no conqueror. You're just a punk younger brother who's fucking over his own family. And, uh, man, that, yeah, drives him over the edge and he's, he almost kills him in that moment, <laughs> but he doesn't kill him. <laughs> and, uh, he, yeah, he doesn't want that comparison to be uh, given and he banishes him. And this is hilarious because he says, you know, go back to the veil to your lawful wife or, you know, strive to restore whatever scrap of honor remains in you or don't matters not to me as long as you are gone from my sight for good. And uh, he's just like, as you wish, brother. And he goes from his back and rolls over onto his side and makes no effort to get up. It's like, he's like, as you wish, brother. But first, I'm going to take a little nap on the floor of the throne room. (laughs) (laughs) He goes to sleep on the floor for a little while. Hilarious. Because I sleep in that same position. So I recognize a sleeping position. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Hilarious. Anything else you want to add? Uh, no, I don't think so. Just, uh, Damon being Damon. All right. So my number one <laughs> is amputating the hand. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, uh, I thought it was interesting because Viserys had his wounded finger from pricking it on the throne and his decision to not immediately amputate the finger led to the rot spreading and corrupting a second finger. And then he's got, you know, partial two fingers that are still like looking like they're rotting and he still hasn't amputated anything, it seems. Or maybe they tried to amputate, but I don't know. But <laughs> he, the, the rotting hand, the corrupt and festering hand on his physical body seems to symbolize the corrupt hand of the king, that, that the, the position within, within his, uh, his court. And so I thought it was kind of an apt uh, com- 
apt comparison to draw between the rotting hand, you know, his hand and the actual hand who's scheming and working against him as well. And the longer he lets it happen, the more he's into Otto's trap and the more Otto is winning and the more he's not making his own decisions and, and Otto is controlling him. And so finally, he ends up deciding to be decisive and he amputates the hand figurative, figuratively and fires Otto Hightower, who just looks completely stunned that this is even possible. And it's in a really intense scene where he brings up the five days that his father was Hand of the King under Jaehaerys, Jaehaerys' younger brother, I'm guessing. And he was, he was a hale and healthy warrior and dragon rider at the peak of his abilities. He was the dragon rider of Vagar, the second largest dragon that there was. Balon the Brave, they called him. So he must have been a badass. Although it was a time of peace, so who knows what he really, really could have done during that time. I guess there were skirmishes here and there. but uh, And over a span of five days, he went from being top of his game, dragon riding, Targaryen, brave badass, to being dead of a burst belly, whatever that means. Um, so he starts putting the pieces together and thinking that may have had something to do with Otto Hightower, who may have been manipulating things behind the scenes this whole time, working himself into Jaehaerys' court, working his way into to continue serving under Viserys after Jaehaerys' death, and it, it sort of like um, reminds me of J. Edgar Hoover, who was the head of the FBI when the FBI was founded. And he used his position of power to gather intelligence on presidents and politicians and people running for office. And he would get photographs and recorded phone calls and all kinds of stuff. And he used this to maintain his position of power as the head of F the FBI through like six or seven administrations of president. I don't remember exactly how many, but he he used his blackmail power to hold his job at the FBI forever. <laughs> and that's kind of like uh, what, what Otto's theoretically been doing here. And Otto is like insulted by the, uh, by the accusations, but simultaneously honored by how Viserys is complimenting his capabilities and saying that he, he, he served Jaehaerys well, he, he served me well, but I'm on to you now. And <laughs> and uh, like, how long did it take before you chose yourself over your king? And uh, he's he says that he'll, you know, he's still reeling over Emma's death. He'll never get over it. But he realizes now that Alicent taking him through the worst of his grief and comforting him, that was a calculated distraction. And uh, he he's figured out that she was instructed to do that by her father and that, she may might mean well, but that she's also just a pawn in this game. She's she's not into having sex with him, which she's able to easily <laughs> deduce from her lifeless, you know, style. Basically, <laughs> in the bed, just potato sack mode. And uh, he's finally putting together pieces. It takes Rhaenyra to to lay it all out for him in that instant when she tells him you know, the hand is self serving. He's using you and manipulating you and. He'll stop at nothing to make Aegon crowned king. And he's realizing that it's true. And uh, he takes some time to stew on it, probably, and then has Otto in and reaches over and pulls the pin off of him. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. 
Yeah, hardcore, standing right there in front of him, toe-to-toe, and just takes right off of him. Yeah. And he he came to these conclusions when Otto came to him with the accusation. Yeah. And he said, you know, you know, you, you would spy on my daughter just to improve your station and, you know, to manipulate things to your benefit. But he denied it, so he wasn't 100% sure. Right. But that what he was thinking, and then Rhaenyra comes in and says, I'll, I'll do my duty as heir. I'll wed Laner Valerian, but you have to get rid of Otto Hightower. And she talks, you know, confirms all these things that Viserys had been thinking about Otto. He's self-interested. He's doing things that are for him, not for the realm. Mm-hmm. And Rhaenyra comes in and basically works a deal with him. So I'll, I'll wed Lenor, but you have to get rid of the hand. Yeah, it's it's interesting how she twists it around like that because she's she knows that she's being used as a currency effectively to repair the relationship with the Valerians in this in this proposed marriage that is going to be happening. But as a currency, she realizes that she has inherent value and and leverage to use of her own. So she uses that deal to like, yeah, I know you need this and I'll do it, but on my terms, you know? And so she switches it around and manages to get auto-fired. Yeah, and wow. Really epic. Uh, so last week when when Viserys, when they're back from the hunt at King's Landing and Viserys and Rhaenyra have that conversation in the small council room mm-hmm. about, you know, I'll, I'll promise you on your mother's you know memory, I will not supplant you. Yeah. Remember what seat she was sitting in oh, for that conversation? I saw a picture of this. She was sitting she was in the hands seat. in the hands seat. And so now she has worked this situation to remove the hand who is obviously working against her especially since now that baby Aegon has been born. Yeah, crazy. So thanks to uh, Sir Matthew Rep for for this line, Otto has overplayed his hand. <laughs> yeah, he's he overplayed his hand. <laughs> that's like that's an Arnold quality line right there. <laughs> like Arnold Excellent. Schwarzenegger always seems to have these like epic one-liners. He caught the train. I had to let him go. Let off some steam, Bennett. Everybody chill. As Mr. Freeze. That's yeah, my favorite. That's a good one. Um, and in this episode, did you notice Rainier was sitting to the right of Otto in the small council? She was sitting in a seat and she had a little pearl in front of her. You only got to see her one time. It was kind of from far away showing the whole room. Mm. But she's there in her seat. Interesting. Yeah. So it seems like she's been taken off the sidelines, uh, you know, since we last saw her situation where she was the cupbearer. She's now seemingly in on the small council meetings and has a voice, which is cool. And she should, because if she's going to be the heir, she needs to be part of the decision-making, learning how everything works and and uh, being trained to do all this. So that's good to she's see. A, she's a woman grown, so if, if a Cirrus <laughs> were to drop dead, I mean, she is, she doesn't, she wouldn't need a regent uh, to rule, you know, until she comes of age. Right. She would immediately. She is be, of age. Yeah. So she would be queen. She's got to hit the ground running and know how to do things and how it all works. So. And not let Cersei, a Cersei character come in and install their own uh, regime. Yeah. We, we should get those balls uh, that they use for attendance for the podcast. I'll like place the ball. And I'm Sir, I'm, I'm Sir Duncan, <laughs> and then you can place the ball, and be like, I'm Sir Zach, and we're here. Lord Zach, uh, yeah, that'd be funny. Yeah, so that basically covers amputating the hand, the symbology, the symbolism of the, the rotting hand on his, on his corporeal body. 
symbolizing the hand of his of his court, then they're both causing damage to the host effectively, and uh, he's finally decides to amputate. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Excellent. I have a number zero, <laughs> which awesome. Which Go I we we should talk about before we get into our regular old notes, and that is the secrets of the dagger, and uh, the this dagger, the cat's paw dagger, and. Uh, it, I'm assuming it's the same dagger as the cat's paw, although I have noticed that it's it looks slightly different. There are two gems on the hilt. The the end of the hilt, instead of being gold plated as it was when Littlefinger had it, it's it's all bone and it's like dark black. Um, so I'm assuming it's still the same dagger, but they've made some cosmetic changes to it for this you know time period for one reason or another, a directorial decision, and. Uh, so Rhaenyra goes to meet with Viserys and we see that the the dagger is in a brazier being heated up and the metal is all hot, red hot and everything. And I'm like, ooh, this is, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen here. It looks like a self-cauterizing blade. Like, what's it going to mm. do? <laughs> you know, although I couldn't imagine him like stabbing her or something. But, but uh, he ends up pulling it out and telling her that the dagger once belonged to Aegon the Conqueror, and I've been wondering about the dagger's origins this whole, like since the 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 show. I just thought it looked really cool. There's a page, and I think of uh, the Book of Ice and Fire, World of Ice and Fire, where it shows a diagram of the dagger, or maybe that was a page during a book that Sam was reading through at the Citadel when he was training to become a maester. I think it was in the show. We see a picture of the blade in a diagram, but there's no information that's legible about it. Yeah, it's the season seven premiere. We get a picture of the cat's paw dagger while Sam is reading in a book, an ancient book. And the page is detailing the use of dragon glass to decorate weapons. And uh, next to the diagram, it says, The Valyrians were familiar with dragon glass long before they came to Westeros. They called it Zirtis Perzis, which translated to frozen fire in Valyrian. And Eastern tales tell of how their dragons would thaw the stone with dragon flame until it became molten and malleable. The Valyrians then used it to build their strange monuments and buildings without seams and joints of our modern castles. When Aegon the Conqueror forged his seven kingdoms, he and his descendants would often decorate their blades with dragon glass, feeling a kinship with the stone. The royal fashion for dragon glass ornamentation soon spread through the Seven Kingdoms to those wealthy enough to afford it. Hilts and pommels were and are the most common decoration for dragon glass, if too brittle to make a useful crossguard. Indeed, its very brittleness is what relegates it to the great houses and the most successful merchants. So they've been hinting to some significance, but we haven't actually learned about it. And we find out here that it was Aegon the Conqueror's, it was Aenar's before that. I'm not really sure who that is. I can't remember. Okay, yeah, so he mentions Aenar, and I thought that was probably Aegon's father, uh, which, because it just made sense in the moment. He's like, it was Aegon's and Aenar's before him, and before that, it's hard to tell. But it's not his father. I believe it's his fourth times great-grandfather, Ooh, Aenar the Exile. And Anar was the father of Daenys the Dreamer. Ooh. So he was the head of House Targaryen when Daenys the Dreamer had her dream, and they picked up and left Old Valeria and resettled on Dragonstone. So Anar the Exile was the patriarch of House Targaryen when they left Valeria and is the reason that the Targaryens are in Westeros. Involuntary so the, exile from Valeria. 
Mm-hmm. He's the ancestor of Aegon the Conqueror, I believe, four times great grandfather. Nice. Good one. Good good job there. <laughs> Killer. Yeah, and before that, it's difficult to know. Um, but we learn that before Aegon's death, the last of the living Valyrian pyromancers hid his song in the steel, and he pulls the blade from the brazier. Before Aegon's death, the last of the Valyrian pyromancers hid his song in the steel. And we can see in its red-hot steel that there's an ancient language inscribed and like a sentence or two. And she reads it. From my blood come the prince that was promised. From my blood come the prince that was promised. And his will be the song of ice and fire. And his will be the song of ice and fire. And this is the same message that Rhaegar had had in, a, in, a, in one of Danny's dreams. Uh, Daenerys is having a dream at some point in, in, this, in the books, I believe. I don't know if they cover it in the series. They must. But Rhaegar is standing there with a, a newborn babe in a crib, a boy. And he mentions that his name is Aegon. And he says that his son will be the prince that was promised and that his will be the song of ice and fire. And there's been a lot of controversy about this, that it didn't seem to come true and that people didn't like that Arya killed the Night King. But we have to remember here that the legend of the Long Night and Azora High, who, who ended the Long Night with the, the Lightbringer sword, this is a legend from the Far East from, from that followers of R'hllor know. As, uh, as is described by Melisandre in the books. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like Aegon's prophecy is an isolated incident and it has to be 100% accurate and his lineage being 100% responsible for this. There's all these different elements at play. And so Danny has a dream of Rhaegar and we learn that Jon Snow is, is Aegon and he's a prince that was promised by um, Lyanna. You know, promise me, Ned, promise me. And everybody's expecting Jon Snow to kill the Night King, but Arya has the blade, and Arya is the one who does it. And people are like, oh, what's the point of Jon Snow? What's the point of the legend then? It would have been impossible without Jon Snow. Jon Snow is the reason uniting the wildlings together, creating an army large enough to hold off the Night King at Winterfell just long enough so that Arya can swoop through with the blade. If Jon Snow hadn't united the wildlings and made that giant barrier of soldiers gotten Danny and gotten John, Danny. John went down to Dragonstone and got Danny yeah. and her dragon. Yeah. Without, without that, without the wildlings, the, the night King and his army would have swept over Winterfell and killed everybody in the, in their path. And so it, John was integral in this process of stopping the, the night King. And I don't think he's get, gets the respect that he deserves for that. Just because he didn't strike the killing blow doesn't mean that he wasn't the prince that was promised and doesn't mean that it w- he won't be important. It doesn't, the, the prophecy doesn't say that the prince that was promised would kill the White Walkers. He says that he will be, his will be the song of ice and fire. And the, st- the Starks being from the north and being like the winter is coming group, they are the ice. The Targaryens that are the, from the south are the fire with fire and blood. Arya, you know, he's the reason that we got the dragons. He's the reason we got the, the the wildlings, and he's the reason with his connection to to Winterfell and to Arya personally that this battle took place there, and that this was the last stand. And 
people have a problem with Arya striking the killing blow. And they're like, oh, it doesn't make any sense. It should have been John, But it makes perfect sense to me because Arya was a disciple of the god of death. And what, what, what could the god of death possibly hate more than somebody going around and resurrecting thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands of people? Necro, creating a necromancy army. Yeah, a necromancer is the natural arch nemesis of the god of death, undoing the work of the god of death. And so Arya trains under the god of death and learns the secrets of the faceless men during her training period, even before that, after uh, Cereal Pharrell, she's dancing in the tree branches with needle or with a broomstick. Silence as a shadow, quick as a cat. She was meant for this. She jumped, you know, she, <laughs> she, she, she swooped through with the knife, probably like on tree branches or something <laughs> into the God's wood and took out the night King. Mm-hmm. It was only she blows possible. by that. Yeah. That one the, white Walker. The, she blows by wind. his hair. And you're like, He's like, whoa, what's going on? Yeah, it's too she, late. She was met for it. She was small enough to be unnoticed. She was a girl, so she wouldn't be perceived as a threat. She could change her face to blend in anywhere. She's fast. She's been, you know, she's, she is the emissary of the god of death who has the biggest reason of all to kill the Night King. Yeah, and she has the dagger. The key is the dagger. And the key, the key is, is the, the dagger, dagger, the Valyrian so. steel. And uh, she has it, you know? And so... The prince that was promised couldn't have done it on his own. He died. He needed the the servant of R'hllor to revive him so that he could finish his mission of bringing together the wildlings and and reuniting reuniting with Danny and bringing her north to fight. So we have the Targaryen influence combined with the R'hllor influence with the resurrection. Um, just the prince that was promised on his own isn't enough. You need the whole dream team together. Michael Jordan alone can't win the Olympics in 1992. You needed Barkley. You needed Bird. You needed that whole team together. And so the prince that was promised, yeah, he may be Michael Jordan. He may have gotten, he may have killed a White Walker himself and united the wildlings. But you need the, somebody, you need the, the whole team. And it took took the Targaryens, it took R'hllor and Melisandre, it took the influence of the god of death working through Arya and training her, and only with all of these influences combined were they able to finally work together to, to defeat the Night King. Just because Jon didn't strike the, the killing blow doesn't mean he wasn't important, and it makes sense that it was Arya, considering that you know her master is the, the arch nemesis of the the Night King in terms of death and life and resurrection, and uh, you know there's all these different names. The prince that was promised, Azora High. There's another name for this figure throughout history. There are all these different um, you know cultures have this same legend, kind of like how everybody has a legend of the Great Flood. In the real world, all these different cultures throughout Essos and Westeros have their own tellings of the long night and of this hero uh, and of the sword and everything. So, no, none of them alone in isolation is powerful enough to uh, to complete the task. And I, I thought it was awesome how it's only to working together as a team that they can all come together and play their parts. And the prince that was promised did his job and got everybody together buying just enough time so that the goddess of death, the servant of death could swoop through and stab that bastard <laughs> with that dope move, dropping the blade and catching it and stabbing him. <laughs> oh man, that was cool. 
and the legend says that a Targaryen must be king when this happens, but there is no Targaryen king, which is where the drama comes from because the kingdoms have fractured and there's no dragons to help out. But Jon Snow manages to pull them all together at the last second, and we have dragons, and we have the wildlings making up for the for the southern kingdoms under, under the control of Cersei who aren't participating, and they're able to all together, by the skin of their teeth, mount just enough of a resistance to stop the Night King temporarily, but it's not enough. John can't get through. The white the Night King saw him kill that White Walker at Hard Home. He's on his radar. He's got the dead dragon fixed on John, but Arya, she's anonymous. She's been off by herself. She's been switching faces. She, she's untraceable. She's not on the Night King's radar. Everybody thinks it's going to be John. The Night King thinks that John is the most dangerous threat to him. He's not paying attention for Arya. She's invisible. She's a ghost. And she comes out of nowhere and gets the job done. And it was awesome. So, yeah, I like the element of teamwork. I like how all these various legends and gods all came from all over Essos and Westeros in this final moment of desperation to combine forces and work together to take down the Night King. And it's really exciting to me to see this dagger on screen and learn this cool secret about it that I, <laughs> it's pretty unique creative writing that you light you you heat up the blade and a secret message emerges it kind of reminds me of those like uh secret messages written in lemon oil that only appear when you apply a flame to a surface for a brief moment of time you remember mm -hmm. seeing those things yeah or when frodo tosses the ring into the fire at the at the beginning in the hobbits in the town where they live hobbiton Oh, it tosses um, it into the fire in Hobbiton. Gotcha. In the, yeah, at the very beginning. In the envelope. It's Isn't in the it Gandalf envelope. Who tosses it in? Yeah. Or, yeah, maybe it's Gandalf. After he comes back, I can't remember. Is it secret? Is it safe? <laughs> yeah, I think he comes back and he's sitting there smoking his pipe and he throws it in there. I think he's smoking his pipe afterwards, but the envelope burns away. Yep. And the ring is sitting there and you're like, what's happening? And then the. The Mordor, oh, the Elvish or like the Mordor language kind of comes to life around the outside of the ring right. once it's in the fire. So you could you could say this is like a total Tolkien ripoff. <laughs> I guess it's not really that creative. <laughs> like I was thinking. Um, but, I mean, it's a ring versus, you know, a dagger. So true, that's but it's a like different element. J.R.R. Tolkien, G.R.R. Martin, <laughs> rings, blades, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he was clearly very inspired by J.R.R. Tolkien in a number no of doubt. things. In a number of no things. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, a couple other cool little things to notice and to note in this scene while he's revealing the dagger and its secrets. Uh, he's talking about this responsibility to Spider-Man, I mean to Rhaenyra, this, the responsibility is I've handed to you the burden of this knowledge. It is larger than the throne, the king. It is larger than you and your desires. And he kind of like changes the, 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 the conversation topic in that moment by like twisting the end of that sentence and becoming more, more aggravated with his delivery of it. I thought it was a great way that he escalated that sentence toward the end there and changed the meaning by the delivery. <laughs> right. Yeah. Started a seemingly interesting, mysterious conversation. And then he's turning the conversation into what he really wants to talk about. Right. Rhaenyra and her exploits. So he's like using the, the importance of the dagger, like the message within the dagger and Aegon's dreams as a, a pretext or an 
impetus to get Rhaenyra to rein in her craziness and control her behaviors and her desires because this is more important. Like, we're all working towards this greater end from this prophecy. <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> pretty good. I love at the very beginning, she walks in. She doesn't see anybody. And the Kingsguard stand there for a second, and then they kind of look at each other, and they close the door, and she walks <laughs> over to the brazier. And she's about to touch the dagger. And oh. he says... That dagger, and she she jumps back. <laughs> that dagger, really cool. Remindful of how Daenerys has the dragon egg on all of the coals, and reaches over and touches it, and the uh, the the servant Missande or somebody touches it, and oh, it gets burned, and then Daenerys can handle it without a problem. Sort of remindful of that. Uh, since we're talking about this scene, might as well just go through the lines. Uh, she talks about how if she were born a man, she could bed whomever she wanted, father a, father a dozen bastards, just like King Robert with Gendry, for example, and no one would blink an eye, just like nobody blinked an eye for King Robert. Uh, and he's like, yeah, but you were born a woman. And <laughs> it's the same similar thing in our uh, society, like whether or not it's right or wrong. Uh, the two sexes are judged with different standards when it comes to promiscuosity. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the same is clearly similar in Westeros. And, uh, oh, this part is great because he, he, it's at this point he brings up uh, how he, he, like her courtship is over and she's going to marry Lenor Valerian. And uh, <laughs> he is this great rat. You are, you are my political headache. Your, your wedding to Sir Lenor Valerian will unite the two most powerful houses in the realm. With the combined strength of our shared dragons and naval fleets, no one would dare stand against us. And did you get the Star Wars reference in this this moment? Um, when Vader is trying to get Luke to join him? <laughs> yeah. Your wedding to Sir Lenor Valerian will unite the two most powerful houses in the realm. With the combined strength of our shared dragons and naval fleets, no one would dare to stand against us. The House of the Dragon will stand as one for a further generation. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. They use the same phrase, combined strength. Nice. <laughs> so I felt like that was a, like a, a subtle little <laughs> Vader reference. Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't catch that at all. The second I heard it, I was like, oh, it's Darth Vader. <laughs> so the house of the dragon will stand as one for a further generation. <laughs> um, pretty, pretty badass. Always got to love a good Star Wars reference, you know? So yeah, this is also the, my, my rewatch when I realized that it was only because of Allison informing Rhaenyra that Otto got the info on her that it was that it resulted in Otto being fired as the hand, and so she's partially to blame for that. Negative externalities, and then so the uh, the maester comes through, and we yeah we we, talk, we talked about it at the uh, the moon tea as they call it Westerosi Plan B. <laughs> he he says to her, "It will rid you of any unwanted consequences." And I was like, uh, yeah, "Not a broken hymen, though. That's <laughs> that's an unwanted consequence that'll remain." But she, you know, like uh, my mom was like, "Oh, but she rides horses and stuff," and I was like, yeah, "And dragons, <laughs> you know." So odds are, could have been busted by riding on a dragon, and that'd be as good as as good an excuse as any other. Mm-hmm. So she can always say that if it comes down to it. 
<laughs> um, you got any other notes that you would like to mention? Um, at the very beginning, um, Blackwoods versus Brackens. Yeah. Uh, a feud as old as time. <laughs> a feud as old as time. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <clears throat> what is wrong with us? Um, Oh, did you catch Lord Dondarian's name? His yeah, first name? Beric Dondarian. Beric Dondarian. That's that cool. That was exciting. Um, the Lord of the Lightning Lord. Who did that guy remind you of? The actor. Oh, the actor? Yeah. Mm, I don't know who to remind you of. The Blackfish. Oh, yeah, that's true. They are pretty similar looking. And like uh, looking so and they're kind of, I mean, they're, they're trying to be, you know, suave and smooth and, you know cool in that you know 50s to 60s age time frame yeah 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 um definitely although this guy seemed a little bit more out of it like oh <laughs> yeah at the end they try to pay him off as old he had to go over there and pour himself some wine or water or something yeah, just to continue right. his spiel and rainier is like bro that was like 50 years ago she yeah. asked him about <laughs> queen alisane that was pretty yeah fun. that was hilarious snarky very snarky yeah, she and yeah, and even oh, uh, so I'm pretty sure. I mean, I know for sure that that was uh, Lord Baratheon sitting beside her, but I'm thinking they were at Storm's End. Yeah, that's what I realized which we've too. Never eventually. seen before. We've yeah. never been inside Storm's End. Beautiful room. I loved the architecture, like big rows of like columns kind of built into the wall that get wider towards the base and like an ovular style room. Storm's End is known for having the thickest walls in all of Westeros. 60 feet thick, maybe? Maybe thicker? Somewhere between that, like between like 40 and 60. I can't remember exactly. I I thought it was 40, but it could be more. It could be more. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's wider and thinner in places. (laughs) Yeah, they um, rebuilt it several times. Oh, that's that's why? After the storms came and knocked it down. Oh, yeah. So just... I mean, according to legend. Right, right, right. (laughs) According to fictional legend. (laughs) But yeah, the uh, the the young you know Blackwood lad and uh, the Bracken guy who's heckling his uh, little speech for the princess's hand, and they end up you know coming to blows. You know, David coming versus to Goliath. <laughs> so that was awesome. And at the end, I was like, oh man, they probably killed that little kid. And then it's <laughs> the kid who comes out on top. I was like, yes, <laughs> love it. That was so funny. The guts are spilling out and he's on the ground, oh, coughing up blood and spurts and everything. I was yeah. like, no way. At first, I thought that was another uh, Baratheon because of the sigil, but I, looking more closely, it looks like a deer, mm-hmm. like a, a regular old deer or a horse or I something. I can't remember. I think it's a horse. The, the Bracken's uh, sigil. but Yeah. Uh, and in the middle of all that, when they're leaving, Boromund Baratheon says, she, that's still, you twats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great too. <laughs> twats. That's always a fun word. Backs yeah. me up. Um, I noticed also the first <laughs> shot of this scene. It's it's zoomed in on the necklace, and as she's meeting all yeah. these like these potential That's how we suitors, open episode. all she can do is fiddle with the necklace, touching mm-hmm. Damon's gift to her. It was Probably a little bit of, of foreshadowing. Damon. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. she, that Damon really is occupying her uh, her heart at this at this moment. For some reason, these these uh, these targs just uh, are attracted to their own family members. Yeah. It's like a genetic um, My next trait. note was uh, Damon, when he's in the throne room, um, Viserys asks, who, hold, <clears throat> who holds the stepstones? The tides. 
the crabs, and 2,000 dead Triarchy Corsairs staked to the sand (laughs) to warn those who might follow. Great response. The tides that like stuck out to me. Hold the step stalls. It's uh, pretty epic. Yeah, very artistic. And it reminds me of Vlad the Impaler. Crazy stories about him. When his country was being invaded, Vlad of Wallachia, as he was known at the time, uh, he would he he took his army and ran through his own countryside, destroying and burning everything in the in the in, a, in the way, so that when the invading army showed up, they were like, "Oh my God, it's already been ransacked here, left no supplies or water sources for food for them." They were like, "Dude." if this guy's crazy enough to do this to his own <laughs> countryside, like maybe we shouldn't mess with this guy, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. Vlad, <laughs> what a, what a gangster. <laughs> um, we didn't talk too much about the scene with Kristen Cole and Rhaenyra, but my note was Cole and his white cloak. Um, she was starting, she started off, you know, playing coy with him and took his helmet and then she dropped it or no, he went to reach for it. And she moved it and just moved in and kissed him. Yeah, very uh, like, clever of her. Whoa. She's like, whoa. And then later she drops the helmet. Um, Great Foley, uh, Foley effects is for that sound. It sounded really legit. Mm-hmm. That's not the sound I thought a solid magneto helmet would make. Yeah, it seems like, like it's got some kind of stuff going 2050 on. 2050 or whatever, you know, a futuristic, you know, made out of an alloy. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, we're not in futuristic X-Men. We're in medieval times, so <laughs> the helmet would sound like they made it sound when it rattles hit the floor. a bit. But I'm 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 expecting this sound like the ring dropping Ooh. in Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know that Magneto helmet's like who died? But anyway, this is made out of medieval metal. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to go an episode without mentioning the Magneto helmet. <laughs> Hell no! Always worth mentioning. But, they, you know, finally Cole sort of, you know, he plays hard to get for a while and you can tell that he wants to, but he knows his oath is to the king and to the realm, you know, vows of chastity. Yeah, he's looking and back at the door and then. <laughs> obviously, he's not supposed to, you know, be getting frisky with the princess. Rule number but, one. You know, desires of the flesh, you know, being what they are. And that it, he's the he's the guard at the door. So it's so easy for him to get caught. Right. Anybody. Yeah, Thank the you. Lord Commander or anybody else just has to make their rounds. It's like, where's Kristen Cole? Yeah. Oh, he's... Oh, uh, no. So something happened to the princess and they just enter <laughs> without even knocking. And then there they are. But anyway, so far, that hasn't happened. But when she takes off, you know, his van braces and different pieces of his armor, takes off his neck. It's like, oh, like a gorget, maybe? Yeah, I, I think can't so. Remember. And then the, she takes off the cloak and like hands it to him. And he looks down at it for a second. Yeah. And symbolic moment. It, knowing what that cloak means, it's white, you know, for the king's guard. They're the, supposed to be pure and noble and only they're only folk they're only they don't have not supposed to have a wife or a family or even lovers. Just taking uh, it off in that moment is symbolic as well. But then he like definitely. emphasizes the symbolism of removing the cloak by taking a moment to stare at it. It was pretty smartly done. So, and then, you know, from then on, in, then on, they're, you know, into each other. And yeah. it's, did, did it seem like some of them were like sort of spy shots? Like yeah, somebody could have been the rats, you know, back to the rats. Yeah, looking through the bars of the, you know, something rather. And could have been. And some of it was like, 
using Hollywood filming techniques to cover, you know, certain parts of uh, Kristen Cole and Ray Nira, you know, in, you know, so that, you know, they weren't too overly exposed. That's that tasteful direction that I was talking about. But some of it seemed like it wasn't just that. It was like sort of the vibe of the shot. A few different ones was like that there was somebody creeping on them. Yeah. Not like where you could hear them breathing or anything. No, there's obvious. But it was like they were sort of, it seemed like they were playing with the idea of the rats. Yeah, yeah. I got that vibe too, for sure. I thought it was interesting also that she left through the secret passageway, but she returned the normal way. So Sir, Cole, Sir Kristen Cole was like, what the? You know, I thought you were in there and now you're coming How'd back. How'd you here. get out here? Yeah. I thought at first, like, why would she do that? But subconsciously, um, you know, Damon had gotten her blood up and gotten her like in the mood, you know, and so... Maybe she just wanted to an excuse to draw him into the room, and so she went through the the regular way, and knowing knowing that she would run into Kristen Cole and have to interact with him. Maybe it was mm. on purpose. Maybe it was subconscious. But either way, she opened the door for servants to see her coming through the gate into the Red Keep during the hour of the owl. I think it was with uh, dressed as a page. <laughs> You know, so she blew up her own stealth completely unnecessarily. She's she's yeah. still learning, you know. <laughs> uh, pretty funny, pretty funny. And Damon had just told her, you know, that marriage is for politics, but, you know, once it's over, you can, like, Targaryens can, like, fuck whoever they want, basically. So she's apparently took that to heart and, you know, made her move on... Kristen Cole, there's there's been this will they won't they thing going on with them too for a few episodes since the mm-hmm. uh, the what was it the second no I guess it was the first episode when he asked for her favor during the jousting tournament. Yeah, that was the first episode. Yeah, so that's been being established uh, pretty much this whole time. <laughs> so that finally came to fruition. And if her feelings had been hurt by Damon, who she may have interpreted it as him as like just leaving. Uh, and being a dick, uh, she seemed to be able to get over it pretty quickly because she wasn't uh, pouting or moping around like Jon Snow, <laughs> mopey bastard. <laughs> she seemed like upbeat and playful and not like upset by the the what ha- ended up happening with Damon. When she seemed upset when she had initially left the ple- you know the the pleasure house, mm-hmm. but not anymore. She so. had that walk back to the Red Keep to uh, think about what she wanted to do with Kristen Cole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I was just thinking, man, like that is a lot of garments to take off for the for, for the, the king's guard. Yeah, they're there. both sitting there trying to unlace their boots and like kind of laughing about how ridiculous it is. Yeah, and if he's going to get caught, like if someone knocks on the door, like where's Sir Kristen? He can't just like put his clothes back on real quick. You know, he's yeah, busted. It'll take like he's ten busted. minutes. The way she, that she was taking off his clothes too, it kind of seemed like a like an opposite of the way that. Call Drogo undressed Daenerys. Uh, I got that kind of vibe a little bit there. Reverse roles sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Where she's in control and he's like being <laughs> dragged into the situation uh, as opposed to the other way around. And there's romantic music playing during this part. So it's not, it's giving the impression that, <laughs> you know, Sir Kristen Cole is not being like, like raped <laughs> here. He's like, he's a willing participant according to the mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty kind of interesting. Um, Damon's haircut, you know, you oh, like yeah. it or not. And before we see him, 
when when he's, the bloodworm comes swooping down over the the ship there, you hear the 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 squeaking squeal of the bloodworm in the distance before uh, you see it, and you know it's him because of our hearing it at the showdown on the bridge of Dragonstone. So that was kind of cool. I heard mm-hmm. that squeal, and I was like, "Oh, it's the bloodworm! <laughs> the bloodworm!" <laughs> Killer. Yeah, I um as the episode went on. His haircut kind of grew on me, but at first, especially with that driftwood crown, I think it was called, I didn't like it at all. I was like, this is terrible. Give oh, me yeah, yeah. long hair Damon, like from episode one, he's sitting on the throne and then he's standing there and he gives right near the necklace and his, his hair, I mean, it's like perfectly straight down and it's just, you know. Yeah, it's like the Thor movie when he cuts his hair all of a sudden and it's like, what the hell? Like, you're, yeah. you're, you're Thor, you have long, long hair. <laughs> yeah, like, so, he's a Targaryen. I still, don't really lo- I still don't love it. It's growing on me, but I'd rather... Yeah, I can me, deal with it. Give me long hair, Damon. He's looking sharp. <laughs> but yeah, long hair, Damon, is pretty badass. I wonder if Matt Smith, the actor, is like, okay, I've shot in this wig, the long wig, for however many weeks now. Yeah, y'all gotta do something else. I can't <laughs> deal with it. No way. Because if you sign up for a role like that, you can't be like upset about the costume of just a few weeks into shooting you know what i mean like you're in this for the long haul if you had an issue with the hair you know you shouldn't have taken the job in the first place right 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 Uh, but i mean you know i see what you're saying (laughs) anything's possible anything's possible anything is possible uh (laughs) really cool scene and i was not expecting the direction that this took with with him pledging fealty to the throne and giving his crown over to Viserys and making a big show of it. Apparently mm-hmm. in the book, this happens during like some kind of tournament and he flies in on the dragon and like makes a big scene. Yeah, that would have been cool to see, but... Just another expensive saving. set piece. Yeah, they're saving the CGI, the <laughs> dragon CGI budget. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, can we just do this in the throne room? It's just the people, way simpler to film than way doing simpler. the dragon and all that. And just as effective, like everybody's like, oh my God, here he is. And we got the dragon swooping in over the boat too. So we got like, yeah. you know, all the cool elements of the thing. And there's the garden party and... It's it's just interesting seeing everybody so happy. Like, you know, it can't possibly last with all these friendships being rekindled and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. Amend, uh, amends being made and everything. Uh, and it's just, it's such it's so sad between Viserys and Damon because Viserys just lo- loves Damon so much and Damon loves Viserys so much and they just can't manage to keep it together. Like, <laughs> no matter what they do, they end up aggravating each other one way or another. And uh, Rhaenyra sticks up for Alicent in the uh, the moment where they're talking about the tapestries, and she's like, "Well, I'd like to see them. <laughs> like, it's not a terrible idea, Alicent." <laughs> yeah, sort of how uh, Alicent had stuck up for her at the uh, at the hunt, saying, "Well, she was just more suited for the role, you know." Mm-hmm. And then she goes off to sit alone. My last note was kind of what Viserys said when he was talking to Alicent about, you know, what happened between Rhaenyra and Damon, And um, I can't remember who said it. Uh, whatever transpired, Rhaenyra is not innocent. I think Viserys said that. Yeah. Only, only because Damon tried to corrupt her. And then what hit the main line that I wrote down was, Damon and Rhaenyra share the blood of the dragon. They're restless and chaotic. Yeah, totally true. They both have that, like snarky, stubborn vibe to them. There's an interesting moment while Damon and Rhaenyra are talking in the godswood too, where they walk away and they're, uh, they're 
he he grabs a glass of wine and sits down and they're kind of they have a conversation in Valyrian and they're talking about the bronze bitch his uh his <laughs> wife at the Vale and she's she almost hits on him they're talking about you know how unlucky you can be with a political marriage and for women it's like a death sentence but then she says your wife has been fortunate you know and it's kind of like oh because she's married to you Damon like and that's cool but then she like after like a comedic pause she says you haven't put a baby in her <laughs> you know and it's, it's it's not fortunate that she's with Damon it's fortunate that Damon hasn't knocked her up which is kind of yeah. funny and uh i noticed it, he passes the glass of wine to her and in sort of like a turns into this like sort of intimate moment where they're sharing a glass of wine and i have in my notes Damon and Rhaenyra are sharing a glass of wine like Saul Goodman and Kim Wexler share cigarettes. Nice. <laughs> you know, where yeah. they're kind of lounging around and they're passing mm-hmm. a cigarette back and forth. That's like the same vibe I was getting here with them sharing the glass of wine. And uh, when, so in response to the jape about put, not putting a baby in his bronze bitch, he replies saying, I doubt a child could grow in such hostile environs. <laughs> and to me, this, uh, this reminded me of Scarface. He has a quote where he's like, he's like, man, I can't even have a little baby with her, man. I can't even have a kid with her, man. Her womb is so polluted. I can't even have a fucking little baby with her. Womb is so polluted. <laughs> Talking with, with his wife about like how she's like addicted to quaaludes and all this stuff. And, <laughs> and her womb is like polluted. It reminded me of uh, of this. I doubt a child could grow in such hostile environs. Oh, during the small council meeting, Viserys is talking about how Lord Corliss can't still be mad about the uh, about the slight and not marrying Lena. And he says, certainly, he cannot still be wroth. And I just thought wroth is a cool word. W-R-O-T-H. Not wrath, mm-hmm. wroth, meaning wrathful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yep. that was cool usage of words it's something that's been said a few times in the series and the books i definitely remember it from this whole thing uh, and they mention how a marriage to the like to the family would uh you know if 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 if, uh, if uh lord corliss is going to marry his daughter off to the bravosi trade lord trading lords you know sea lords mm-hmm. they'll have to make their own attempt at a marriage an alliance through marriage uh with the valerians and it cuts to rhaenyra and you can tell she knows it's they're talking about her, and she, she has some subtle facial movements that were some pretty nice acting. Uh, I thought that was good. Yep. Um, oh, there's some interesting parallels between Masaria and Varys. Clearly, that they use children to uh, to manage their whispers, uh, but she also talks about how she's left her life behind in the skin trade. And it reminded me of Varys, too, because before Varys started selling secrets, he was selling yeah. his body. Um, right. Hard lessons are not welcomed, but suffered. And so um, maybe we'll, this could be hinting that we could see her rise into a true master of whispers, developing a spy network throughout King's Landing in sort of a Varys-style manner, which I think would be pretty cool. That'd be sweet. And she looks just disgusted with him when she leaves. So it lends credence to the idea that she's been working for Otto for quite some time, potentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, when Rhaenyra enters the the Godswood to to meet with Alicent, uh, I noticed another cool style of dragon brazier. Like we get some cool braziers in the in King's Landing down in the city that are like <laughs> spitting flames. 
And then here there's one that's, as she walks through the door into the Godswood set, it's, it's, its head is like sticking in its neck or sticking out from next to the door and kind of craning, craning upwards and it's got a torch in its mouth. Nice. Lots, lots of cool dragon stuff. And this set is just pretty cool. It's not something we've seen in Game of Thrones. It's a new set, just like this little courtyard off to the side of the castle where they have this tiny little godswood with just the one tree, the heart tree. <laughs> Interesting that the builders of the Red Keep decided to include that, considering that the uh, the Targaryens have no allegiance to the old gods or anything. They must have just been trying to assimilate with the culture of the locals to the mm-hmm. old gods, the seven, to make everybody feel like they're they're welcome and to, to to bring everybody together. Probably part of the act of you know um, conglomerating the seven kingdoms into one was making sure that all of the religions and things were represented at the uh, at the the capital. Effectively, uh, I love the the godswood set. By the way, it's really cool. Oh, when Damon arrives back to the Red Keep, all drunken in the morning, he stumbles up to the gate. The bells are tolling, and it mm-hmm. came to mind uh, for whom the bell tolls. Because <laughs> for the bells tolling, uh, the surrender of King's Landing and the finale, and then Danny goes crazy. Oh yeah, there's lots of yeah the bells that episode the is bells. called too. Yeah, in this case, it's like they're they're ominously uh, foreboding, and it's signaling he's about to get banished. Basically, they're tolling mm-hmm. for his banishment. Effectively, mm-hmm. they're not, but. You know, it's uh, just kind of an ominous way for him to arrive that I thought, I thought was pretty cool. And that wraps up notes for me as well. Awesome. So, all right, stick with us. We'll be right back after a short break. Let's go to Raven's Calls. What's up? It's uh, Archmaster Stitches, man. And uh, sorry for the background noise. I'm at work this morning. But uh, yeah, last night's episode, I've like been praising this show amongst my friend circles of Uh them like interlacing action and political intrigue and you know <laughs> all of that stuff so well like we get dragons then we get garden walks dude this episode took that and just like kicked it down the road <laughs> this was like mixing political intrigue softcore porn political <laughs> intrigue pedophilia yeah <laughs> incest. Oh, i know it's based on like uh, you know medieval times not the theme park but you know Fucking Jesus Christ, though, dude. I was just like, all right, I get it. Can we do a cutaway scene now? We understand. <laughs> okay. Wow, they're still going. Oh, wow, it's still going. Okay, great. This is like yeah. Cinemax now, like from the late 90s. Oh, man. 
<laughs> scrambled. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've read uh, Fire and Blood, and I know y'all aren't doing any spoilers on it, so I'm not gonna step into any of that. But I do like the fact that they deviated from a lot of that because Ooh, I think y'all said it before that book is from the point of view of a of a fool and a few maesters and. Those people yeah, aren't actually in a room <laughs> the fool. with like uh, crispy coal and stuff like that. So <laughs> I, I, th- I think it's going to piss a lot of the nerdy like naysayers like that's not what happened, you know, but is it? That's the cool thing about, you know, the, the source material being a, a right. textbook written by third parties. Rumors. And I did enjoy that part. But I will definitely say it's probably my least favorite episode. It didn't feel like filler. Uh, I won't. I know a lot of. I've seen a lot of people saying it was just a filler episode because I think a lot of shit got moved along. But I was really hoping for like a fucking five or seven year time jump or something. Um, That's this I week. I think come like just a few <laughs> months later. And what's up with like cutting your hair to look like Doctor Who? Only like <laughs> bleach blonde. I mean, the curl came out and everything. I'm like, come on, guy. Doctor Who. What are we doing? Doctor Who. Yeah, like a. Like a t-shirt that's going to have a silhouette of your hair you're trying to sell. Get out of here. Exterminate. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say I didn't uh, not like the episode. It was just, you know, not laced with like a big ass, you know, not a battle, but just even like that dragon face off we had uh, in season. I mean, episode two, like only that. I mean, that wasn't like a battle or anything, but it was just still it was tense and epic. That's what I felt like it was missing. Uh, there was no tense, epic scene in this. Uh, my favorite part was fucking uh, Viserys actually walking out looking like the dragon. You know, he's got all of his wounds hidden, and he comes out all black garb and just starts kicking the shit uh, out of Daemon. You know, I thought, oh, I was like, whoa, oh, yeah. this guy actually, uh, actually, you know, showing he's got some balls. Uh, that was badass. Speaking of the other scene that involved his balls, God, that was cringeworthy. <laughs> anyway, but that's the point. All those wounds all over him. I'm like, oh, that poor thing. <laughs> I felt so bad for Allison. So nasty. Uh, it's gross. It's fucking horror movie gross. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Anyway, good show, guys. As always, uh, keep up the great feedback and uh, follow up and all that kind of stuff for the episodes because it's it's it. It gets me through. I, I look forward to Tuesdays and Wednesdays and whenever these episodes drop. And uh, thanks again for all the shout outs for uh, hearing the haunted and uh, Sirenicide. And I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks so much for calling in, Johnny. We love you, buddy. And yeah, quite a departure from the previous episodes. I totally feel where you're coming from on that. <laughs> Lord Anthony of House Alekin says, What a fucking great episode. The beautiful mess that this will create is super juicy. Loved it. Five out of five for sure. (laughs) Yeah, this was a good episode. Very nice. Uh, We talked about Sir Matthew Rep said, uh, he overplayed his hand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Matthew Rep uh, continues, oh boy, what an episode. I thought a major theme this week was going to be reconciliation with Varys and Daemon bearing the hatchet or adding it to the throne. <laughs> and Rhaenyra and Alicent finally reconnecting after many years. Both seem to have been short-lived as Damon is sent packing back to the Vale and Rhaenyra has Otto removed from King's Landing after he overplayed his hand. 
Pun intended. Also, you just love to see a good mummer's farce. Yeah. And in true Shakespearean tradition, all female parts are played by men. It's <laughs> yeah. nice to see that by the time Arya takes in the theater, they have accepted women into the arts. Oh, yeah, true. Because the, uh, nice. the actress that she is kind of working with there, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Lady Crane. Oh, Lady Crane. Right, right, right. Lady Amanda of House Massey says... Coming from just a show watcher, this episode felt like a waste. But knowing the GOTCU, there is a reason we got a whole episode of Rhaenyra and Damon. Hmm, three thinking face emojis. <laughs> also, mm-hmm. is it just me or do we all feel still feel like Rhaenyra is only 15? <laughs> yes, she looks very young and it was hard to watch the whole, uh, the whole scene in the brothel and with Kristen Cole for me. Because she looks like a child to me. <laughs> yeah, they're telling us that she has aged through these time jumps, but she looks still, she looks very young. And uh, Damon even says it at one point, and you've matured over these last four years, <laughs> princess. And I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. Has she? <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course, Eugene Kuhn uh, sent a still of Rhaenyra sitting in the hands chair from last episode. Oh, yeah. Saying that they fast forwarded and rewound several times looking for this clip after Viserys depends the hand of the king. I thought I spotted a foreshadow in the episode only to realize the scene was from episode three last week. Rhaenyra sitting in the hand's seat. Perhaps I spotted it in the previously uh, on oh. House of the Dragon clips and thus thought it was from episode four. Either way, seeing her in his seat had the Airs on the back of my neck stand at full attention. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, speaking of airs, uh, was that some broken wind by Viserys while laughing it up with Damon about those orgy tapestries? <laughs> oh, man, I got to go back and listen. I, I didn't catch it. I did hear it in the first episode when they were uh, Ass. pulling the pants down of the raper. Yeah, but that I was didn't hear it this episode. Nice. Yeah, that's worth a rewind for sure to check out. <laughs> Go listen to that now. <laughs> and we read uh, Lady Rachel of House Katevis's comment earlier, but let's read it again because it was good. She says, the whole sequence of Damon taking advantage of Rhaenyra hit me really hard. That was a fantastic display of real-world grooming. From drunken, hazy, confusing attention to be left cold, underdressed, embarrassed, and alone. Claire Kilner, ladies and gents. What a director. And I agree. Love the direction in this episode. Everything from Damon, the angle looking up at Damon's armor as he walks into the sword to uh to the you know the the classiness of the of the lead actress's nude nude scenes where you don't see anything but you kind of see everything and and it was uh you know what did it, what was the word I used before? Uh Tasteful. Tasteful. Yeah, I thought it was pretty tastefully shot. So it makes sense that it was a woman shooting it with that eye for, you know, tasteful presentation of this type of thing, for sure. All right, that's our show, episode 124. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks so much. And a huge thank you to John Bailey, the epic voice guy from the Emmy-nominated Honest Trailers for announcing our show. Another huge thanks to our epic patrons on Patreon. Sirenicide, Lord John of House Grills, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lord Jeremiah of House Becker, and the last High Gardener of High Garden, Sir Corey Eugene of House Coon. <laughs> and we'd like to extend a warm thank you to Tarot Spirit for your donation as well. 
On another note, if you enjoy my take on things, you might be excited to learn that I'm working on a project of my own. It's a series in a novel screenplay hybrid form that I'm already over 1,100 pages into writing. Solving the mystery of the pyramid's purpose, uncovering the occulted, discovering the history of humanity lost to the ages, deciphering the fate of ancient gods, Egypt, lost civilizations, Tesla, Roswell, flood mythology, hollow earth, the fall of the Third Reich. What is the truth at the core of it all? The Core Saga. More details coming soon. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast or patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Doing some online shopping? Then go on over to gameofmicrophones.com, scroll down to the bottom, and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of GOM. And make sure to check out Sirenicide, the serialized horror drama podcast featuring me and Archmaster Stitches. Go to sirenicide.com and download it wherever you get podcasts. And while you're at it, check out Hearing the Haunted, the horror anthology podcast that follows up Sirenicide. Next episode, we'll be covering House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 5, We Light the Way. We'll be recording on Monday afternoons for the rest of the season, so make sure to send us your episode feedback as quickly as possible following the show's airtime so we can include your thoughts on Game of Microphones. If you'd like to call us, you can call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you'd like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Make sure to join us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash G-O-M podcast. Each week, we'll be posting a feedback thread where you can leave your thoughts and comments on new episodes for us to read on air. Slap. (laughs) (laughs) You can also watch Game of Microphones on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, and BitChute. Audio podcasts are great, but video is better. We're also currently trying to build our tiny subscriber count, so go to youtube.com slash gameofmicrophones and subscribe right now. Likes, comments, and shares are appreciated. Also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at G-O-M Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks Thanks for for listening. My princess, ours is a bond that has long endured, since Lucas Blackwood, the grandsire of my grandsire, aided the dragon in his war of conquest. Aye, the Blackwoods truly turned the tide on that one. If chosen as your match, princess, your days shall be easy and nights safe under my protection. Protection? The princess has a dragon, you dumb cunt! A real mummer's farce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Horn farts and all. <laughs> Please consider taking the black and helping us get out of the red by, <laughs> by helping to support us.
showing a lot without really like, uh, you know, I'm going to cut that part out. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> and she doesn't realize it when she says it, that it's slightly insensitive to Allison's so, situation. Slightly. Just slightly. <laughs> slightly. It's like, this is your life, Allison, and it sounds like the worst. <laughs> Who would want to yeah. do that? Oh, Rhaenyra just took the high ground. <laughs> so... Oh, you're just going to marry me off to uh, solve your political headache. He said, you are my political headache. <laughs> yeah, was- your sister. He's going to put pressure through the moon door. Like, Bro, I remember when I first saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, little finger. Oh, oh, my God. word. Do you wish to know your death, child? <laughs> it's like, how do you know it's a child? A tragical cooking accident. Tra- did I say tragical? A tragic. <laughs> Tragic cooking accident. Oh, man. I think I got the wrong thing pulled up. That's what she said. A feud as old as time. <laughs> a feud as old as time. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> what is wrong with us? Oh, it's the blood worm. <laughs> the blood worm. Scroll down to the bottom and clink. Clink. <laughs> Scro- <laughs> scroll down to the bottom and click on our link to Amazon. I call Blackwood. You call Blackwood? All right, all right. Sounds good. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.